He's got charm, but when he gets rough, he'll break your arm. He's got taste and manners and grace, so when he gets rough, he'll sleep your face. He'll buy you jewels, expensive shoes. Uh, hey, Jin, do you like the kinks? Jin? Kings? No, the kinks. Kinks with a K at the end, a kikinka. K kinks. You don't. Once you're in, there'll be no getting out. So look out. It's a good change, Jin. ああ。ああ。ああ。ああ。ああ。ああ。ああ。ああ。ああ。ああ。ああ。ああ。ああ。ああ。ああ。ああ。ああ。ああ。ああ。ああ。ああ。ああ。ああ。ああ。ああ。
a really, really great episode for Echo's character in particular. All the Echo stuff focused. Yeah. All, all focused stuff is sublime. And I love bringing this character in. You know, it's going to be hot and heavy with this character because he only gets three flashback episodes, but it's in the course of like a season and change. So we're going to be talking a lot about him. We already have, but this is a great window into, you know, his own type of characterization off of the island and how, at least I've thought, he drew a lot of both parallels and differences between the other flashback characters that we've seen. I I really loved this episode, and I enjoyed it more watching it today than maybe I've ever enjoyed it before, which is saying a lot, because this has always been one that I've really, really loved. Um, I remember the the idea that you were going to see the monster in this episode being fairly hyped, uh, so I was very hyped for this episode coming in. I was just texting today with one of my friends from college who I watched Lost with, uh, he and I aren't in, like, super frequent conversation with each other. Uh, so it was a real just sort of, like, serendipitous thing that he had reached out, just as many of us are with, like, people in our lives who we haven't talked to in a while right now. Uh, just being like, are you all right? Like, how are you handling everything? Is everything good? What can I do? Uh, and we were having, like, a really fun check-in. And this was, like, a real sense memory episode for me. I, mm. I will, I mean, we're going to hear it as one of the sounds later on in this episode. And we'll give you adequate warning because it's, uh, speaking of garbled, gook, like, it's just, like, a lot of uh, crazy crazy percussive sounds that the monster makes you know so we're gonna listen to that um but there's there's like the monster is making tons of noises but echo himself and charlie there's a lot of just like heavy silence from these characters and the build up Mm. to to the monster reveal um that was so palpably mirrored the experience of watching this episode the first time i remember my living room uh, the cost of living room uh, at, oh, no. <laughs> at, at college uh, watching this episode and all of us just like with, you know, a, a full blanket of silence on us. Uh, and we were u- usually pretty well behaved when Lost was on, but something just felt different about seeing the monster, which we had only seen wisps of before, seeing in its full smoky form. Uh, and watching it move, like seeing like a sense of movement from this thing uh, for the for really for the first time um, in full was just and seeing a character just like face it down the way that Echo does. It spoke so powerfully of the monster, but it also spoke so powerfully of Echo. Um, and this was also a, a flashback that I'm trying to think, has there been a flashback that has subverted a character as fully as the Echo stuff since, you know, honestly, Locke? I, I don't yeah. I don't know that uh, that I can that I can think of an example off the top of my head. Yeah, I mean, I guess if I'm, yeah, I mean, subverting is as in like doing a complete 180. I would right. say not 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 since Walkabout. I would definitively say. I mean, maybe it's Anna Lucia being the cop because I don't think when people when we were watching her on our screens that we necessarily pegged her as an officer of the law. But it's not distinctly as you are going from a you know a Nigerian drug lord to a posing as a priest that is maybe one of the biggest 180s that we have seen since john Locke makes sense because these characters fates are so entwined yet sort of like we're gonna split hairs on these two characters because i think that uh carlton cues muses about it in the loss on location for this episode but this really highlights how even though these are both men of fate they are significantly separated yeah. uh, one will mistake coincidence for fate and one will definitively not all right, so I think uh, we've been having a lot of really great Mr. Echo discussions along the way here in our Season 2 conversations, and I think that that is very, very much going to continue today. So I'm, I'm really looking there forward to it. There will be echoes it. of it? There will be echoes uh, reverberating throughout Season 2 and a little bit beyond, of course. Uh, but certainly today, it's it's not even just going to be echoes. It's going to be full-on uh, shouting at each other uh, in close range, uh, which is uh, not 
something that is necessary, but something we uh, seem to not be able to help ourselves from doing. Mm-hmm. Uh, so here we go. We're talking the, turn- the, the 23rd Psalm. It's the, it's the first of three Mr. Echo episodes that we get here on Lost. It's directed by Matt Earl Beasley. Could I call, can we call it the trifectoa? Yeah, the trifecta. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, we can't. I mean, I think the fact that you barely said it means that it's in. The trifectoa? <laughs> the trifecta. The trifecta? <laughs> oh, my God. I guess. It's the trifecta for trip. A. So one A scratched here as uh, as Adewale <laughs> yes gets his gets his first episode here the twenty third Psalm directed by Matt Earl Beasley co written by the by the two men in charge Carlton Cuse and Damon Lindelof uh, originally aired January eleventh two thousand six centers on Mister Echo and the Ben behind the curtain Mike uh, alerts us to the fact that. We had thought we were out of entries for characters from the actual series Bible that was pitched to ABC all the way back after the pilot. Mm-hmm. But that is incorrect. There <gasps> is indeed one more, and it's the smoke monster. Oh, so does this mean that did Echo or did Ben behind the curtain go to another station and find like a section cut out of the series yeah. Bible and return it to us? I mean, it also makes sense. Like, it would feel very sacrilegious for us to make up our own Bible entries for this episode, right? Uh, I feel like that would. I don't know about sacrilegious so much as ill-advised. Uh, mm-hmm. I don't know. I don't want to. I don't want to poke that bear. Uh, bad things happen when you try to, to force biblical events, uh, as we see in this week's episode of Lost. Um, this is what it says about the monster in the series Bible. Um, Our castaways will make a series of discoveries in the first few episodes that indicate the monster may have man-made origins, which offers a variety of possible explanations illuminating its true nature. Perhaps the result of the experiments performed by the island's past inhabitants, or simply a small part within an elaborate security system designed to protect yet undiscovered facilities, the beast is almost as scary when it's not there. As the series progresses, the group begins to figure out the quote-unquote rules of the monster, locations and times of day that are quote-unquote safe, but the re-emergence of this creature, which may be more machine than animal, is an ever-present threat. Uh, so in true series Bible fashion, uh, some facts are correct and others are not, uh, but I do think that you can hear it in the monster through this point, this idea that maybe there's something a bit more mechanical about it than mythical uh, as it ends up becoming. I'm very happy that at the time they had no idea what to do with the monster, much like we had no idea what was going <laughs> on with the monster for the first little while. But they're like, well, maybe a lot of things could contribute to it. They'll definitively settle on something. You know, I think we're starting to slowly build the mythos of the monster. We're, of course, going in with the full mythos. But, you know, until we really get into like the season five, season six of it all, and specifically the introduction of Jacob, that's really going to determine the quote unquote rules that the series Bible is talking about here. But essentially, this sort of gives us a scope to the idea that they wanted this big bad, but they were sort of a TBD on the details as to, like, what what its deal is, how it got made, when it's going to hang out, etc. All right, so let's get into the episode. Let's go forth into the jungle with the assistance of eight sounds, uh, with an asterisk, I will say, uh, as, we, as we get deeper into the episode. Um, we begin with a flashback. We open in Nigeria. 
lots of kids playing soccer. I think in in, in real life, I've I've been here on on a filming tour location, uh, filming location tour. Uh, the when I went to Hawaii and, and did this once upon a time, uh, and I'm pretty sure this is near the Dole Plantation on Oahu. Mm. I I may be getting that. Oh, that makes wrong. sense. That's why they were kicking around a pineapple instead of a soccer ball. <laughs> it might it might be. Uh, I think it's somewhere around there. Uh, I know I've been here before, uh, and I remember being there, being like, "Oh my god, this is where Echo was playing soccer," and I had a really giddy reaction. Uh, certainly a lot more giddy than the scene uh, would <laughs> would uh, lead you to have, because this is one of the most unpleasant scenes in Lost up to this point, uh, which is like very very upsetting as these soldiers are going to to come in and disrupt this soccer game between these two brothers and all these other kids, and uh, you know really uh, wreak havoc upon this village. They drag this poor young boy out in front of this old man. A soldier puts a gun into this young boy's hands, and the following occurs. Kill him. Shoot him, now. Shoot him. Do it! What's your name, boy? What's your name, boy? Echo. <laughs> Look at Mr. Echo. <laughs> no hesitation. <laughs> A bone killer. <laughs> Come. You won't need that anymore. And Echo in this moment, uh, as a young boy, is is wearing, of course, the cross that he will uh, that is being ripped off of his neck in this moment by this guy, uh, the Echo Maker, the Mister Echo Maker, uh, and uh, being thrown on the ground. And he is going to retrieve it by episodes. And this is just a very harrowing start to the mm-hmm. to the episode, Mike. Yeah, I mean, this is also, I would say, probably the most exotic location that we have had in a flashback. Usually, we're either in Australia, or, you know, we're Amerocentric, or in England, or somewhere else. But this is really feels like a destination removed out of what we're used to, even if it is, uh, you know, the, the Dole Plantation all gussied up. And to that note, it almost seems like its own separate thing right from the beginning. I mean, that's the other thing as well. This episode's very unique in that it opens on the flashback. There is no primping. There is no Island 4 play before we get to the heart of the matter here, which is representative of the fact that Echo is picked out of this peace and quiet that exists in this village. Also, a lot of great color stuff. I know they tried to use like a a yellow filter to really give a different tone to quote-unquote Nigeria, but Echo himself has very colorful and bright in this green and yellow uh this green and yellow jersey he's yeah. going to be changing his clothes when he comes back so yeah i mean this is this is a big scene also uh little echo is not so little he's definitely as tall as the warlord that ends up taking him maybe that's another thing as well do we know is, is echo the older brother i'd assume then i think so that that's always been my take on it um 
it's always been, it's always been my feeling that Echo is the older brother of Yemi, but I I, I think that that could be like a size difference thing. Um, could it be I like a Mario and Luigi thing? <laughs> I don't know, uh, but I've I've always looked at it as Echo looking out for his younger brother. But I'm not sure uh, off the top of my head, at the very least, if the text ever uh, fully confirms that one way or the other. Yeah, I mean, I think it makes sense thematically, as you're pointing out, because in this moment when Echo steps in to shoot this guy, it shows how he'll get blood on his hands if it means protecting his brother. And we'll get into that later on. You know, we'll see if how much that concept gets bastardized as uh, the two brothers get older and, and drift further and further apart. But obviously, you know, the, the line, look at Mr. Echo, no hesitation, a born killer, considering that the first thing chronologically we've seen of him so far is him beating off those others to death <laughs> on the first night that they were there. It's like, well, I mean, this guy's kind of a predictive in that, in that particular capacity. Wow, phrasing again, Mike Bloom. Uh, but... <laughs> oh, no. Are we going back to the van? <laughs> Listen, I'm not going anywhere near the van, but you may be heading for it. You may be beelining it towards the van, Mike. Uh, I'm staying away. Uh, but Echo's going to drive off. And yeah, this is, this is very upsetting. And uh, what, what, I'm, what I'm talking about in terms of like the subversion of a character here is like this is almost like a, a mirror image of walkabout where walkabout yeah. at the end recontextualizes everything that you know about john Locke up to that point and here in the very first scene of the 23rd psalm this character echo who yes has killed but took that like very personally right to the point that he didn't speak for 40 days afterwards uh seemed like that did not sit well with him this is a guy who's going out of his way to protect people that in the very first scene here we see him as a young child kill a man uh, and then go off with these soldiers, uh, presumably to become more of a killer. And the rest of the mm-hmm. episode is going to uh, highlight the, the the life that Echo has led before the island. And a lot of the tension of the episode is like, how does this guy become a priest? Uh, so it really builds that character mystery in, in I think, uh, a really a really exciting way um, that, that worked really well for me at the time and, and, and works really well for me now, too. Yeah, and I think that it's a really interesting trajectory as well, too, because... I mean, we have seen a lot of these characters be in not-so-good places by the time they get on the plane, right? Kate is in handcuffs, Sawyer is a con man, Charlie is a drug user, and like you said, this is the opposite trajectory. This is a guy who started in that place and is now going to build into a man of the cloth, and you wonder, like, how does he find reform even before coming onto the island, where I'm assuming that changes him more, and we'll find out that he sort of has his own other journey to go through I mean, this, this is, if this is the sequel to Walkabout, do we call this Drive Away? Drive Away. I don't know. It uh, could be. We could. Uh, we could call it dri- drive, uh, drive About, uh, Drive Shaft Away. Because I will say, Echo is going to become the ringleader of this, as we'll see in the next flashback. And by that time, they have upgraded their vehicles significantly. And you have to imagine that was one of Echo's initiatives, right? Yeah, he's like, I want to make sure that we've got uh, sweet wheels here. It's all about image, and look, we're not going to scare anybody if we're driving in this pickup truck like you guys were when you quote-unquote recruited me. Yeah, look, you guys wanted me. I'm the natural-born killer, and if you you want me to stick around, you got to meet my demands. Demand number one is we need a sick ride. Uh, I, I believe there was a line coming from this episode when, uh, you know, the guy says, look at Mr. Echo over here, and he goes, you mean like Mr. Ed? Yeah, oh yeah, Sawyer. Sawyer, ghosts of shades of Sawyer. We'll talk about Sawyer, who uh, I think many of us in lockdown, uh, not the episode, are uh, feeling like we can relate to him. Or will yeah, I was going to say you could wish that Evangeline <laughs> Lilly would cut your hair, but I don't think we want Evangeline Lilly going outside anymore. We don't know, we don't know, yeah. She, she's since updated her Instagram, yes. seems like she's caught on with the game, so uh, let's, let's take the win while we can. Uh, on the island, uh, Mr. Echo is there, he's carving into his stick. 
Uh, and here comes Claire. I love Claire in this episode. The Claire and Echo scenes are great. Yeah, at this point, because, you know, we're going to go into the etymology of Aaron, but does Claire know, I mean, Charlie's going to discern that he's a priest, right, because he's carving scripture into his stick. Does Claire know, or is she trying out her, like, tight five of stand-up with her Aaron bit here? Well, I mean, she does eventually say, like, oh, you're religious, right? So, like, I think, like, the word on the street is Mr. Echo is a religious guy, but has Mr. Echo come out and said to anybody, I'm a priest? Um, How many people know that about him? Because he doesn't really... It's not like big on disclosure. Yeah. <laughs> or or clothing as it is. <laughs> yeah, uh, I I would say I think nobody does. I mean, I don't think he's letting anyone get to that stick. I think he's beating them back with his stick because right. that's gonna mean getting to know him. I think the only time he's vulnerable is with somebody like Anne Lucia, who in turn is vulnerable to him. And I think even then, she is the type of person who, if he told her he was religious, she would sort of be like, I don't care. Yeah. You know, probably. so he hasn't really found that confidant as of yet but he's going to find one very soon in charlie just in a very different way than maybe he supposed but they start talking about claire's baby aaron and how aaron was the brother of moses uh, and claire has a really funny line of like oh that must have been tough to live up to why can't you be more like your brother moses yeah clary the cable guy here doing her stand-up <laughs> clary special. the cable guy oh my god uh it's more like hurley the cable guy uh back in uh, everybody with me drinks on me that's true. That's true. But yes, I mean, it's an interesting moment because like, we, I think we usually remember season two as the season of Claire and Locke. But this is a, a moment where Claire like sort of confides in Echo a bit. Obviously, she doesn't in- uh, intentionally reveal the Virgin Mary statue to him or at least pique his interest. But, you know, I think she did want to talk with him. Maybe this is her sort of also being the welcome wagon. They're still in this weird period office season three style where like the branches have merged and how do you exactly talk to these people that you don't know? We'll get that at the end of the episode. But here she is to sort of build a little bit of a bridge. And I can imagine this is probably the warmest conversation Echo has had with somebody in quite some time. Except, would, for, you know, with the lock so. stuff. I would think so, too. Um, but he says uh, that, that Aaron was a great man. Uh, Moses had great difficulty speaking. Aaron spoke for him. Uh, and I, I remember this generating a lot of theories of like who's baby Aaron gonna speak for mm-hmm. uh, or like maybe- does he have does he have a brother did Claire have another baby without knowing it or not tell us about it now now is it possible that uh, it's Mr. Echo who misspoke Mike and when he says Aaron was a great man Moses had a great difficulty speaking Aaron spoke for him did he mean Aaron was a great man. Moses had a great difficulty sleeping. Aaron slept for him. Mm, and that's we why go. we'll see Aaron taking so many naps yeah. during his time. After that lost. big, bald, biblical man swaddled him so, Aaron slept for many nights and many days. Yes, I think that that's correct. Uh, but this story really, uh, Claire takes to it really quickly, and it causes her to ask Mr. Echo a question that takes them down a line of inquiry that neither of them shall be able to return from... Let's listen in sound number two. So you're religious, huh? You should speak to Charlie. He doesn't want to admit he's religious, but he carries around a statue of the Virgin Mary. Statue? Yeah. He says he found it on the island. Weird, right? May I see it? Where did he find this? He said he found it in the jungle. Where in the jungle? I don't know. Where? Look, what are you... It's just a statue. Just a statue. 
Where's Charlie? Oh, Charlie, you're in so much trouble. Oh, Charlie Pace to the principal's office. Principal <laughs> Echo needs to see you. Um, that is a great concept that uh, Mr. Echo became a principal in an alternate reality or even oh. a sideways reality. Yeah, Imagine I was going to say, if, if he I mean, was the principal with, with Locke and Ben in a, in a timeline where, uh, where Adewale wanted to be more on the show. I was going to say, I mean, there was talk about bringing Echo back for the series finale. I believe he is like the only former cast member to really not be a part of it just because of salary disputes but i would have loved for him to be the principal and like uh like a, a little bit like the trunch bowl like instead of you know having the the hammer to throw he has the stick that he brings out mm-hmm. in, in case children are especially bad and this- i look i love william atherton uh, aka walter peck of ghostbusters fame who's the the principal in the sideways reality but if we can uh if we could sub in mr echo for that role i'll take that every day well listen we-, we know that one man has a, uh, a certain member and one apparently lacks it according to <laughs> right, certain, certain right. sources he but has I- no scripture stick Exactly, but uh, I, I really like this scene, obviously, because Echo brings an intensity that we really haven't seen before, even when he wanted to take Sawyer into the hatch. You know, it's still there still was like a calm to him, a measured aspect to the way he spoke. His mood distinctly turns uh, when Claire reveals the Merge and Mary statue, and we know that means that that's dealing with something different. And I love the symbolism of him smashing the statue with the stick, Gallagher-style, because it's essentially a symbol of his own bastardized version of religion— used to smash another symbol of bastardized religion that he was previously affiliated with. His past is literally meeting his present here. Well, I mean, I think that that's a big piece of the Mr. Echo character arc, um, is that he is somebody who can't escape where he comes from. Um, mm-hmm. And that that is going to be, you know, kind of like uh, the, you know, the snake eating its own tail. It's like going to be his whole journey is he's just going to kind of, you know, in, in a lot of ways return to exactly who he's always been. That's something that I want to explore in greater detail a little bit as we go along the way. But that's a big theme of this episode for me, at least. Yeah. Um, meanwhile, over at the hatch, Locke is uh, changing the lock on the armory. I couldn't um, remember. Did Desmond give him the code? Or was it just the computer code that he gave I think out? it was just the computer code. Um, unless he, like, had him open up the armory. At, well, no, he did. Didn't he have him open up the armory in order to get uh, some guns to go after Kate? Um, oh, yeah, that that was sure. the thing. And I could also imagine maybe on his, like, random rummaging way of just running around, he maybe left the door open. Otherwise, I mean, Locke could probably crack it, considering his love of silent robber movies. Yeah, something like, she's the fugitive. I think it was around that whole thing. Um, but Locke is is cracking the safe either way. He's changing the lock. Uh, he, he and Michael are having an awkward talk about silent movies. Michael's like, you're not that old that like you're a silent movie guy. Hey, don't, don't like TCM shame, Michael. Some people are into His Girl Friday. You know, and that seems to be John Locke. And Locke's like, all right, what, what's with all of this uh, this foreplay here? I know what you're here for. You want a gun. You want me to show you how to use it? I can do that. We can make that happen. Yeah, and Locke, you know, is being very trusting of Michael. Of course, we know in retrospect that this shouldn't be, but there's no reason not to at this moment. But, you know, he's really vocalizing sort of the us versus them mentality. Uh, He's being surprisingly tribal in it, of being like, well, I need to reset it because of the new people. You never know. Uh, And he also has this, I would say that his view on the guns right now is very Jack-esque. Especially when we got into the whole stuff with homecoming and whatever the case may be, where, you know, only a select number of people knew about the guns. Everyone shouldn't have the ability to waltz in and grab one and shoot a couple in the one, you know, someone in the stomach and a couple in the stomach, but in front of a pillow. That would just be pure craziness. Uh, yeah, I have no issue with uh, with John Locke doing uh, what he does here with Michael, showing him how to use a gun. 
Though I do have an issue with something else John Locke does, and we will get to that. In Is short it the are you are you gonna make an anti or pro ranch stance later on? Well, that's that's really neither here nor there in terms of the preference. But uh, of all the things she got on the island, you managed to have some leftover ranch from the island feast, and you take it out for target practice. You're a real son of a bitch, John Locke. Yeah, John Locke does not like crew That's pay. not okay. That is not okay. That is that is a terrible thing that you've done. To be fair, and we'll get to it, apparently, if you look very closely on the jar, it doesn't say Dharma. It says Dharama, D-H-A-R-A-M-A. Maybe Locke thought this was like an off-the-counter generic version of Dharma stuff, and you like, this it's stuff is probably generic. Uh, take the generic stuff anyway. You got to take, the, you gotta take the, the generic store brand uh, if that's all that's being offered to you, it's ranch. Yeah, but I don't know. Maybe the shelf. Maybe he feels the shelf life has expired because, and maybe it has less preservatives in it than the OG Dharma Ranch. I'm not gonna. I, I'm the number one John Locke fanboy on the planet, Mike, and I'm not gonna tolerate this from you. Uh, John Locke, John Locke taking the ranch bottle out for target practice is horseshit. It's absolute BS. It's a terrible, oh, terrible that, thing. That, that would have been a better target practice. Yes, actually. It the black, the black horse poop that I'm yeah. sure is around the jungle. All right, so he's gonna show Michael how to shoot guns. Uh, he doesn't know what he's gonna use that for, so I don't really blame Locke for that. But no. the, the ranch stuff is no good um so meanwhile this is the hill you die on <laughs> yeah i'm gonna die on this one um all right so back uh back at the beach is where we get the what, what we heard earlier it's charlie he's with gin uh he's got wit he's got charm when he gets drunk he breaks your arm uh i'm not a big king 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 kinks guy myself uh to be honest mike i don't know if you're a big guy uh with the kinks no i'm not especially either but obviously like the in every music choice in lost is pertinent and here, I mean, a lot of people have been saying that the lyrics uh, represent the smoke monster, about how it, like, draws you in, and then it slits your throat once you're under its spell. You could also argue this might be foreshadowing Charlie's arc a little bit, how he's more than he seems, how he tries to come across like someone that he's not. But bad times are coming anyway, and bad times are literally coming as Echo decides to uh, accost Charlie, as we heard in the intro clip, and send him on his way yeah. in not so much of a musical fashion as we got here and down the Showing house. up in full rusted to Groot fashion. Uh, tell her on the way. On the way. Uh, so they're going to go for a stroll. He wants to know where Charlie found the statue. Um, meanwhile, we will now get the origin story of what is inside the statue, the heroine. Uh, as we flash back to now see Mr. Echo all grown up, uh, he is in like full, uh, oh. you know, Crime Lord Regalia. He oh, looks like a looks fairly so awesome. serious badass. He's I know. so awesome. He's wearing like a, a sleeveless Matrix-esque duster that's leather. He's got the cornrows going on. He's he clean looks awesome. shaven. He looks awesome. He looks really great. He, he looks very, very, very cool. Uh, Adewale is just incredible. Uh, and this is this is an actor who I wish was just like in everything. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and like this, this version of Mr. Echo, even though he is a lot more vicious in many ways, uh, it's still just such a badass uh, that like just like on a visceral level, I can't help but really enjoy it. Um, and also for me as somebody who's a big fan of Oz and therefore a big fan of Adewale Akinoya Gabaje from Oz, where he played Simon Adebisi, who was very hooked into the heroin trade in Oz. It was very very strange and surreal the first run through here on lost this being like my second real submersion uh into the into the works of triple a uh to see him once again fielding heroin You're like oh uh, is this hinting towards something off 
screen from this guy? Is no. this in his writer that he has to play a heroin affiliated character? <laughs> no, I mean he's he's a lot more measured here than he is on Oz. Uh, poor, uh, I was about to say poor Adebisi, but Adebisi's a terrible guy. Oh my god, he's a really horrible guy. There's a lot of commonalities between the Adebisi and uh, Mr. Echo characters, though, because uh, Adebisi like briefly like has like a spell with religion and is trying to like reform himself. Uh, but then you quickly realize, like, no, he actually is uh, using that for a revenge plot. Uh, he's Adebisi was a crazy, crazy guy. Anyway, here he's gonna he's gonna sit down as Mister Echo and very calmly just test the heroin. He's like, okay, this is legit, uh, and like just like not even think twice about it. And as an Oz fan, I'm like, yeah, Adebisi would like now just like take all of the heroin and use it. Uh, yeah, he would like, he would, like, he would, like sell half t- of it, but then the other half would be going to the... Yeah, exactly. Like, oh, I'll, I'll get half of it out of the country. I'll keep the other half just in case. Yeah. Uh, but he says, 50. And they're like, 50 what? He says, that's what I will pay you in exchange for the favor you're asking. And he goes on to say, you've got a large quantity of heroin in a country that has no use for it. You need to get it out. You got to fly it out because the borders are protected. You know there's no private planes that are allowed in the air except for UN aid and Catholic missionaries uh, and the unspoken pieces. My brother is a, is a missionary, and he says, so you've come to me for a favor, and I'll buy your heroin for 50 And I guess, like, we don't know exactly what that currency is, but these guys t- seem to take it as a fairly significant insult. Uh, they are not thrilled with the price, but Echo has read them thoroughly. So mm-hmm. like, all right, 50 it is. Yeah, and I think that, you know, this... This is what essentially all we need to know about who Echo has become, like, in one scene, right? He is so calm, measured, like you said. He read them like a book, probably because he's been through this situation many, many times. He gives some nice exposition as to, like, the drug situation in Nigeria. So I'm intrigued, Josh, because this this idea about, like, you know, I'll get these drugs out of the country. Uh, I'll I'll t- do, take them off your hands. I'll talk later about donating the money to Yemi. I personally think he would not donate at all, but definitely skim off a bit of the top for himself. I mean, do you think there is some morality involved in this? This episode has really had me dissect a bit like what Mr. Echo's code is. Because even the worst behaved people have some sort of code, some sort of rules that they abide by. Do you think there is some sort of like weird altruism here that okay, if I'm getting the drugs away from the Nigerians, then that means that what I'm doing is not as terrible as it could be. Yeah, I think, I think that's his, his philosophy, uh, certainly to a degree. And I, I think I, I really want to talk that through when we get to the Emmy scene, uh, yeah. because I, I think that there's a lot to dig into there. Um, but he's going to talk to Yemi about this very thing. And I, I think it's, it's, it's very instructive to the overall view of Mr. Echo as a character. So let's put a pin in that because we should absolutely mm-hmm. uh, chew on it. Right now, we should chew on uh, Mr. Echo the warlord uh, as uh, these two people that he's buy- buying the heroin from are going are gonna to chew on his machete uh, here with sound number three as he is going to show his, uh, his soullessness to these people. Haram. Sayyidna. It is true what they say about you. And what is that? You have no soul. No. Go. Go and tell your friends I let you live. Have Mr. Echo 
than to live. Wow, echoes his own PR firm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think his marketing is pretty good. Yeah, uh, though I that's mean, like a big piece of why he kills these guys. Yeah, I mean, like, he's got a brand. You his know? focus groups don't often leave the room after the end of it. But yeah, this is—I mean, it's a super interesting scene. This reminded me so much of Sawyer at the end of Confidence Man when he walks out on Dominic Abate and his wife. Where, like, again, it's this idea of even if you do the worst things possible, like I think everyone has a line, and we'll talk about lines next week. But some have you know lines much further down the path than others. And I do wonder if, like... My like, line is people who uh, love DJ Dom and people who don't. That's my line. Exactly. And you figure out who you came with and who you're leaving with. Uh, and these guys are not leaving with their lives. Echo slits their throats. But I think it does seem that, like Sawyer, I don't know, there's something about the innocence of childhood linked with the simultaneous upbringing that they both had in various capacities to be like, I'm not going to put a kid through what I went through. So you get away with your kid. You know, I'm going to let you escape with your life. And just hopefully this will maybe drive you away from the path that you might find yourself on had you stuck with these two guys. Yeah, and I think also for for Echo, yeah, it's like uh, this is an argument in favor of like Echo is doing, in his opinion, what he needs to do to survive. He's playing the hand that's been dealt to him, um, but he's going to have like conditions with this way that he operates he's not going to like kill children he's only going to kill people who are in the game or who have like something of a choice in it um we don't know like the full extent of echo's reputation as a warlord so we don't know what he's done and what he hasn't done but based on his actions in this scene he kills these two people who insult him who seem like they are you know involved in illegal activities themselves and then he allows the child to live uh so i'm sure in his mind at least at this point in time he's better than the people who took him whether or not that's correct whether or not that is uh that's that's you know actually accurate is a different story but i think in his mind he's uh he's finding ways to justify his continued existence and that makes sense again that's sort of like its own perspective of faith right other like you you can't go to sleep at night thinking like why am i doing what i'm doing there's got to be a beacon that you are looking towards and whether that beacon is an omnipotent being whether it's an idea, whether it's just this goal that you want to get to. We all have that orientation in life, even if our compasses are pointing a little bit differently. Uh, and this whole soullessness thing, I mean, I don't know if Echo was just killing him to clean up loose ends or if that was something that really ticked him off. Because like you said, I could imagine that maybe those comments would be very dispiriting for someone of like, no, 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 I am not a bad person. People need to stop saying that. I mean, this whole idea of the favor also brought to mind for me like infamous scenes from The Godfather. And this scene really did come across that way, that this is this big crime boss, but almost like Don Corleone. Again, Echo has a very calm and cool measure to him from various experiences in this business. I do kind of wish, Josh, I mean, obviously had Triple H stayed on the show for longer, we would have gotten more Echo flashbacks. But I do want to see, I would like to see at least once, like, the time in between these two flashbacks. You know, what seminal moments did young Echo encounter that made him into the man he is today? And how did that make him also create this set of rules that he abides by where, you know, he's going to do bad things, but in the name of what he feels is a good cause? Yeah, I mean, I think that uh, there's a lot of Echo's story that uh, that plays out differently depending on whether or not AAA wants to remain on the show. Um, I think that the story we end up getting is very admirably tight considering uh like i think like it's yeah. disappointing that you don't have more of him but what we do get is a really full picture in my opinion um but if 
that had changed and if circumstances had allowed for Echo to stay on the show, I think, A, we're talking about a very different show. Mm-hmm. I think I think Lost looks very different with Mr. Echo living past the point that he does on the show. Uh, maybe for better, maybe for worse, just different for sure. Um, but we get the version that we get. Uh but it could be. It could have been really cool. It could have been really cool to see like uh, young Echo. Not the least of which is because I love these young actors who play yeah. young Yemi and Echo. Uh, I think that they are incredibly well cast. Uh, that they really, really register as their older counterparts. Um, really, really great stuff. Um, all right. So back on the beach, Charlie's going to go to Claire. He's like, "Hey, Claire, what's going on? Everything's fine. So I'm just going to go to the jungle and uh, you know." She's like, "Don't play dumb with me. Like I know that you've got the heroin." Uh, I saw this. This is in your statue, uh, and if I re- if I remember right uh, from my pre amnesia days, which I shouldn't remember, but I do. Didn't you tell me you were a drug addict? He's Maybe like, oh, she yeah. remembered it because that's like the last thing she remembered before Ethan took her. Was like there was the it's, very last thing they were talking about. Or uh, Echo like smashing the scripture stick against the Virgin Mary statue. She's like, "Oh right, Charlie's a drug addict. I forgot that mm. rings a bell." <laughs> yeah, this is really the Rousseau's scratches of season yeah, two. Yeah, uh, and Charlie's like, "Oh no, I'm not. A, I don't. I had no idea how, it was in the statue. How would I know? Look, I'm not using. See, look." And he tears up the heroin. And he throws it on the ground. Uh, it's like, oh, oh, Charlie, oh, sweet summer child. Of course, you're. You know, you've got you've got a a, a hole filled with Virgin Mary statues yeah. deep in the jungle. So this is not. You know, this is no skin off your back to throw this one on the ground. It's very sad to see. Uh, you know, when we when we talked about Charlie and the moth, I was I was pretty open about the fact that like I could see a lot of like that addictive behavior in myself. Um, and like this is stuff that like I have definitely exhibited in my own life in like times yeah. that I've like been trying to like break past addiction or I've been tempted to go back. Like right now, we are living in like prime time for a lot of people who struggle with this stuff uh, to be uh, you know circling the drain of like getting back into you using um and i would be lying if i said i haven't had my moments of temptation along the way here that thankfully i have not given into yet um but i remember like the first time i quit smoking pot that like i had i knew exactly specifically where like a stash of Mm. like secret backup weed was uh that if i ever needed it just in case uh i knew exactly where it was and ironically enough it was in my lost dvd set uh <laughs> that i knew you were the charlie josh that i knew exactly where it was and it took me months months to to like gin up the nerve uh to throw it away uh and so like what he's doing here is very very relatable it's not good it's very very sad uh but it is it is more uh for me it, from my perspective anyway the blame is more on the addiction and and the drug use than uh and the and you know the drug's qualities than on on charlie himself uh it's, it's we're going to dump on Charlie so much uh, in the future of season two. I think I'm inclined to give him a little bit more of not a pass here, but less of a hard time because I think that he's really being he's being driven by addictive behavior, even if he isn't using at this point. And it's really, really sad. And this is all too common. Well, uh, and especially in like this, you know, for him and for the rest of 815, uh, this apocalyptic scenario where they're not in civilization anymore. And I'm sure it's very tempting for, for Charlie to, to just go back to it. But he's going to talk about like, I just feel safe having it nearby, knowing yeah. that it's around. Very relatable feeling. Very well, relatable. Because you have to realize that like this is for lack of a better term, like a creature comfort to him. 
right? 100%. 100%. Same way with the guitar storyline back in season one of like, you seek these out when you're in a brand new scary situation. It's just that this particular creature comfort is something that's destructive to your body and your behavior. I think what makes this storyline just so sad as well is that this is the first time that we're seeing Charlie's addiction come up against a quote-unquote loved one. Yes, you know, their relationship has not necessarily developed up to that point. Claire was musing a couple episodes ago about, like, we're not married or anything. But Charlie obviously Claire's married. Yeah, with the two little hand puppets kissing each other. (laughs) Um, But, you know, Charlie cares a lot for Claire. Probably cares for Claire most out of anybody on this bloody island. And so, you know, it's going to be very significant that not only that she ends up leaving him, but that he is driven to lie to her here. After he... I mean, compare this to him confiding in her in the moment she mentioned back during Raised by Another when he told her that he was a drug addict to, you know, open himself up to her. To now have him shut that door in her face due to the addiction is just, it's a really sad, yet to your point, understandable sight to see. Totally, totally. Uh, I think this episode does a good job with it, though. Uh, I think future episodes will do a less good job with it. Yeah, and I think it helps that we're not spending too much time in the relationship between these two. Like, he's going to go up with Echo, and I think Charlie becomes more palatable there, uh, maybe even a bit comic in a certain regard, and then it's going to be bookended by the scene of Claire walking out and him finding the, the, the stash, and you're like, oh, this thing is not over. Not nearly. Charlie's very pathetic in this episode, I think, but mm. in, in a way that I think is uh, produces a measure of empathy, uh, whereas I think he's going to be pathetic in future episodes, and it's just going to make you like roll your eyes because it's written poorly. Uh, we, are, we are slowly but surely circling that drain, Josh, until fire plus water. We're getting close. We're getting close. Uh, all right, so in the jungle... John Locke and Michael are shooting at the ranch bottle. And I'm furious about this. I mean, I, I guess I didn't save the take. I'm not happy that they are shooting at the ranch bottle. And I think that John Locke is a monster for doing this. If there, is there a preferable salad dressing that would be better to shoot at? No, they're on, the, they're on a deserted island. And they had like the big pig out and they ate all the things. And it turns out that they actually had some ranch left over. So rather than be like, all right, well, we got the ranch left over. Let's like ration this out. They're going to use it for target practice. I wonder if the ballistics ballistics of ranch are similar enough to blood that John, that Locke really wanted to simulate what that experience was like. Maybe, yeah, maybe he's like, all right, so I want you to know what it's like to shoot a man (laughs) in the head from some feet away so you know that it's not like it is in the movies. Yeah, think of it like Red Ranch, Michael. Yeah, yeah, it's going to be everywhere. Uh, I'm furious about this. I think that this is terrible. I think that this is uh, one of the one of the most egregious sins committed in lost history, uh, let alone this episode. Can't wait until the the Super Bowl party that eight one five falls, and they're like, "Where's the where's the dip?" And Vox's yeah. like, "I don't I don't know what you're talking about. We never had any dip." Yeah, this man who used to go hunting all the boars, uh, you could have had uh, pig and ranch, and you didn't do <laughs> oh, it. Oh, ooh, ooh, what an image! Yeah. Oh, my taste yeah. buds are. Jumping Tingling, off a right? cliff right now in excitement. You know? <laughs> Listen, uh, shooting shoot the ranch, I think, is uh, thumbs down. Uh, is it, can we, is, should, we, should we use that as a euphemism from now on when like shooting the ranch when a character <laughs> makes like a bad sacrificial decision? They're shooting yeah. the ranch. Yes, a hundred percent. Like when that's, Locke throws a knife into Naomi's <laughs> back, he shot the ranch. <laughs> yeah, he very much shot the ranch there. Uh, what what what's happened so far on Lost? That's shooting the ranch. Charlie killing Ethan was shooting the ranch. Yeah, I would definitely agree with that. Uh, I feel like 
I don't know, something, uh, oh, sun poisoning, trying to poison Jin, definitely shooting the ranch. <laughs> 100%. shoot shooting the ranch. Uh, all right. Uh, so Locke is going to say, yeah, I used to hunt birds with my dad. My dad was a jerk. Uh, by the way, the thing about birds is they don't shoot back at you. And Michael's like, all right, I know. Just out with it. Everyone thinks I'm going to go run after Walt. Uh, and Locke's like, yeah, I, I, that's the word on the street. I haven't been hearing it, but it's not a smart plan. Michael says, I agree. And Michael uh, gets the live shot, uh, and in one shot, he nails the ranch jar. Single shot. Maybe uh, Locke didn't think Michael would hit it. <laughs> it was a gamble that did not pay off. Yeah, little did he know, eagle-eyed uh, Michael Dawson here. Guess it runs in the family because of uh, Walt's abilities with a knife. Yeah, and, and, and Michael... Walt gets it from his dad. And I feel like after Michael does his little Lee Harvey Oswald assassination here on the ranch, he like has a little bit of a malicious smile to him. Well, yeah, because he's feeling like, all right, if I need to kill the others, I can do it. You right. know, he's getting that sense of bravado right now. Yeah, so like again, even much like Charlie, actually, it's sort of like a parallel, oddly enough, of trying to spurn an activity that you know is actively bad for your situation. And they're both kind of feeding their habits in different ways, despite vehemently denying to everybody else that they're involved in that activity. All right, so Echo and Charlie are walking through the jungle, and Charlie is, uh, is not thrilled He's in the doghouse. He's sleeping with Vincent uh, because he knows he's in trouble with Claire. Uh, and he says, I bet you're happy. Anyway, here's the tree where I found the thing. And Echo's like, ah, uh, yeah. Okay, so you're lying. Uh, uh, I love Echo. Like, usurping Saeed is the new human lie detector. Yeah, very good here. Detective Echo, uh, Detecto, uh, is going to throw Charlie against the tree. He's like, I know this isn't it. Take me to the plane. Uh, and they're going to continue walking in the jungle, and Charlie is going to have some questions for Echo and Echo for Charlie. How'd you know about the plane, man? It's old, you know. Been out in the jungle for years. Of course, you would know that. You know everything. Why did you lie to the girl? What? You told her you did not know what was inside the statue. I wasn't lying. Then what is the wrong idea? What? When I showed you the broken pieces of plaster, you said you did not want her to get the wrong idea. What is the wrong idea? I don't have to tell you anything, man. You come traipsing across the island and what? Suddenly now you're in charge? You want me to take you to your plane? You best start treating me with some respect. I'm not just some guy you can just trip. What? What? Let's go. Uh, I love Sherlocko. He's so uh, good Sherlocko. here. I'm just like, yeah. well, you said that you told Claire you didn't want to get the wrong idea. Uh, about the statue, but you also, or no, you told me that, you know, I don't want Claire to get the wrong idea, which uh, assumes that you knew what was in the statue, but you told Claire that you didn't know what was in the statue. The game is the foot, Mr. Pace. Yes, Inspector Cluseco, uh, st- uh stalking the Pink Panther in the jungle. Uh, yeah, he's he's good here. There's the little wisp of smoke that shows up here that's foreshadowing the future encounter. Uh, a lot of eyes on Mr. Echo in this episode, I think. Like, a lot of people who are very interested in this man. Um, first, the the soldiers that come across him as a, as a child, and like, mm-hmm. they see the potential in him. And what we're seeing from the monster is the monster's like, 
what's up with this guy? I've never seen this guy before. I mean, uh, not too dissimilar from, I don't know, a young man who was visited by Richard Alpert for his abilities and then also mm-hmm. had an encounter with a smoke monster on an island as well. Yeah, so I think that there's a lot of interest in Echo right now. Uh, I also love uh, what is the wrong idea. I love the way that he says that. It's great. Uh, Rich, well, I- if you're listening, put Ron Gaidea in uh, as a character in the next episode of uh, the Down the Hatch Tales from the Island. I also love Echo's, like, it's not that he has a disregard for people's names, but he's like, why did you lie to the girl? Like, he to just does, he doesn't know Claire's uh, name whatsoever. So he, he doesn't. Just, like, he just doesn't. The, you know? the girl. <laughs> the girl. All right. We're actually about to get into some serious sound territory, Mike. Uh, we're going to go to another flashback as Echo and Charlie are going to hit the jungle again. Um, and we're going to, in flashback form, Echo and Yemi are going to reunite for the first time in three years, it, it turns out. Uh, someone is trying to sell Echo Virgin Mary statues for a polio vaccine. This is going to be very important as Echo is trying to deal with his brother. Um, but they're going to have a conversation in the church, and I want to listen to that talk for a quick second, and then I want to listen to something that is not from this episode, and that will be our sixth sound. So let's go with sound number five right now. So I come to visit you for the first time in three years, and you won't hear my confession. You know, Monsignor would have said he failed to raise a proper Catholic boy. But why waste your time confessing? It won't help you. It won't? No. For confession to mean something, you must have a penitent heart. You and your guilty enemy. I've only done what I needed to do to survive. How is that to see? You may live far from here, but that doesn't mean I haven't heard of who you are and what you have done. Have you forgotten how you got that cross, brother? The day they took me? Is what I did that day a sin? Or is it forgiven? Because it is you that was saved. Okay. That's Mr. Echo in the past. Uh, that's him reuniting with his brother, who's now a priest for the first time in a very long time. Mm-hmm. Uh, they, they have not seen each other in quite a while. And the debate that they're having in this moment is, is Mr. Echo a sinner or a saint, basically, in his eyes? Right. right. Like, should, should he have guilt or not? Yeah. Should he be demonized and villainized for the choices that he's made? Or has he really not had much of a choice but to make the choices that he's made so far? Um, so that's that's Echo once upon a time. Let's now check in with Echo at a point that has yet to come. Uh, this is not something we've done here on Ooh. the podcast other than the the very first episode of Down the Hatch that we did. But I think that it's, it's worth doing right now. Uh, sh- certainly a lot of sounds that we could choose from from this episode. But I, I think that bringing something in from The Cost of Living, which comes in Season 3, Episode 5, uh, it's the final Mr. Echo episode. Uh, and this is one of his very last scenes. It's all throughout that episode. He is battered. He's on the cusp of death. Uh, he keeps being stalked by visions of his dead brother mm-hmm. uh, in the jungle. He's being stalked by the monster. Uh, and what we will come to find out, of course, is that his brother that he thinks that he is seeing is not his brother at all, but yep. is in fact the monster. And it's the monster surveying Mr. Echo, presumably because like, 
Are you going to be a good little soldier for me? Are you somebody that I can use in my war against Jacob? Are you somebody that I can use in my gambit to get off the island? Are you somebody who can be an asset there, or are you a threat? And he's going to assess him as a pretty significant threat. And I think that's going to be because what he's going to say in this quote-unquote confession scene, when quote-unquote Yemi finally does take Echo's confession, (laughs) is very similar to what Echo says in the past. So this quote, uh, this sound, sound number six for this episode, is actually from The Cost of Living, and it's from that confession scene towards the end of it. I ask for no forgiveness, Father. For I have not sinned. I have only done what I needed to do to survive. A small boy once asked me if I was a bad man. If I could answer him now, I would tell him that when I was a young boy, I killed a man to save my brother's life. I am not sorry for this. I am proud of this. I did not ask for the life that I was given. But it was given, nonetheless. And with it, I did my best. I love that in contrast mm-hmm. to his scene with Yemi. Uh, you know, it's the last big Mr. Echo scene that we get other than him getting pulverized by the monster. Yeah, and, then, is, and then whispering that John Locke is next. Yeah, that you're next, that the monster wants you next. And we'll, we'll certainly do like the real, uh, you know, um, autopsy on that when we, when yeah, we get a, to that Yeah, this is a moment. nice aperitif for season three, episode five. But what do you think of this? Because this is something we've been talking about with our Echo conversation so far. Uh, this is why I wanted to hold it for this moment, that we've right. been talking about Mr. Echo as somebody who's like kind of like a reluctant priest, yep. right? Where he's like, he's doing the right thing because he kind of feels like, I got to do it. Like, I, I have to do it. It's, I don't really have a choice in the matter. I don't have a say in the matter. This is what the circumstances provided me, and I have to follow it to the letter. Um, one of the things that I think is kind of astonishing to me about the character of Mr. Echo and why I love him so much is he's so undramatic in some ways yeah. that he doesn't really have a character arc uh, in, in, in many respects. I think in many respects, he is a very stable character, that he is somebody who um, gets presented with difficult circumstances and just rises to them. Uh, in unconventional ways, oftentimes, and in ways that can be construed as barbaric uh, and and very, very violent and alarming and controversial. But I think in his mind, his approach is pretty steady all the way through, that he is somebody who has been dealt a hand, and he's just playing the hand he was given to the best of his ability, and he's trying in the way that he has empathy for others during his days as a priest, once he's really following that noble path, um, that he, I think, in his final moments, is going to try and have some empathy for himself. Mm -hmm. And whether or not that is uh, like vastly different from what he is exhibiting in the church here with, with Yemi, in this episode, in the 23rd Psalm, 
I wonder, I, you know, what is the big difference between the empathy he's showing for himself in this moment versus the, you know, the empathy he's trying to show for himself at the end of his life? So I feel like I agree that it is splitting hairs a bit. And we're actually going to get into the splitting hair, hairs with Sawyer next scene. But for me, the the former clip talking with Yemi comes across as defensive. And even though, as you said, Triple A's delivery is so calm it doesn't necessarily come across as antagonistic it to me sounds like echo's defense for himself right of look what i did for you or i'm only doing what i need to do to survive his last little outcry here uh in the cost of living is not necessarily that to me that this this is him more so i don't know i i actually think you know the cost of living clip very much reminds me of the end of deus ex machina with john locke it's the, I did everything you asked me to do, and this is why I am who I am. Right. It's less about someone accusing you of being greedy or be- being someone malicious. It's you outright saying, like, this has been my guiding post the entire time. It's who I am. So, again, it's a very small difference, but I do feel like it's measured. I do take your point that I think from a larger perspective, I mean, Mr. Echo's character arc pretty much takes place entirely off the island. Like, we see it through these 3D flashbacks, and I do agree that he does take the same go getness at every occupation he has, but it still is an arc nonetheless. So when he gets onto the island, everyone has a role to play, as we've said many times, and he really does serve a role as, like, a constant representation of something, to the point where, like, even when he opposes Locke, he's going to be in the right in Live Together, Die Alone, that the button should indeed be pressed. So his entire living on the island he sort of has been in the right nearly the entire time. And I wonder if that sort of is the cosmic balance to him doing so much wrong outside of the island. One of the things that I love about Echo, um, to like put what we've been talking about a different way, is I think that he is potentially the most self-aware um person on the island uh as far as like the the crash survivors somebody who just like really knows himself uh somebody who is not you know pretending to be anything other than who he is even though he's like pretending to be a priest like that he has found a way to make that make sense given the path that he's on he sees it in um like he sees it as a piece of the journey that he's been on he doesn't like question it he doesn't love that this is what he's been given but he kind of has something akin to a bird's eye view of his life in a way that i think a lot of these characters don't and certainly in a way that like john locke would like to think that he does i think that mr echo is probably like the most present character of all of the main lost characters he is somebody that is not thinking too hard about the past he is not somebody who's thinking too hard about the future he's thinking about what's happening right now what do i need to be doing right now and it's really yemi that is his connection to the past and he feels like he has stuff to atone for there or at least stuff to address with with yemi but otherwise Everything that we're ever going to see from Echo is going to be him just reacting to the present. He's such a grounded character in that way. Uh, I just think that he's he's brilliantly written. And because of that feature, um, he really is a terrible candidate for the monster. Yeah. Uh, you know, he is not somebody that the monster would have any use for. Because if this was really Echo's, like, character, you know, through all of Lost, that he's kind of this person who has some some surprising measure of stability. Uh, this is somebody who is going to watch the, you know, the video at the Pearl Station 
and be like, okay, I, I believe that the work we're doing in the hatch is actually real. I believe that this is just like, a, like this is a ruse I'm seeing through it. Like, he sees through bullshit. Mm-hmm. He himself is a con artist or has had to play that role in the past. Um, he's a fascinating character to me. Yeah, really I mean, he, he's a steady Eddie. And I think to that point, I think uh, an ideal candidate that the monster wants is someone who has a huge hole in their logic that's clouded by a vulnerability that that's based in emotion somebody like john locke but echo is solid as a rock and it's interesting you sort of mentioned him being in the present because i do agree he's not going to have moments like a lot of these characters do where like they find themselves thinking outside of themselves even someone like saeed has something like in confidence man when he tortures sawyer realizes oh my god what have i done and decides to leave the camp even someone like Anna Lucia has a moment where she shoots Shannon because she she had a quick reaction and, and assumed the worst. Echo is somebody who I think even the decision he makes in the moment seemed to be founded correctly. And maybe it's him going with his gut, going with his instinct that he's built from all these years of possibly making mistakes or doing things that he regrets. But if you're talking about him living in the present, that's what makes this episode so significant, is that his past has come crashing back into his life. And he feels like he has to address it right here, right now, or it's going to stay here forever. And in that perspective, it's actually very interesting to compare this to the very last episode we spoke about. The last episode of 2005, where Kate sees a manifestation of her past in the jungle and just comes to pieces over it. And when she does encounter it, it goes away, it gallops away, and she can move on with her life. Echo is practicing something very similar here, and I think this sort of seems to be like a running theme of loss back to white rabbit as well of like if something shows up that reminds you of your past the more you run away from it the more it's going to catch you yeah and here he's he's racing towards it he wants the answer he's not afraid of the answer he's not afraid of the monsters we'll come to see in a little bit um in flashback uh the flashback continues with the conversation between echo and yemi uh, and Echo's going to say, I-, I need your church relief flight to get this merchandise out of the country. Drugs aren't my normal business, but we're going to get them out of Nigeria. Uh, and the money that we, we get from this, you're going to have to buy the polio vaccine that you need. Uh, so it's a win-win. Uh, and Yemi, uh, Yemi's not really buying it. He doesn't want to get involved in this. But I think from Echo's perspective, and this is something that you were hitting on before, I think within what we're talking about here with Echo, I think for Echo... Whether or not you agree with it and, and whether or not he's right is a completely separate point from, from Echo's perspective. I think Echo is viewing what he is doing here as actually like fairly good. He's like, I'm getting drugs out of our home. Yeah. I'm, I'm playing my role. I'm a warlord. Like I had to become a warlord in order to survive, in order to keep you alive. Uh, and I'm in this position to keep more people in our country alive by getting this shit out of here. Help me out. Uh, <laughs> help me help you. I think you. there's also probably a piece of it that where Yemi is correct, where he's saying it's, it's your greed uh, that's bringing you here. Um, but I think that there is, in Echo's mind at least, it strikes me that he's actually like buying what he's selling here. So that's the interesting thing. I do not want to cast wide aspersions onto organized religion, but I feel like it's not necessarily residing in subtleties. And what the perspective of Yemi's is is grounded in his own foundational faith, which is sort of like a Sith in absolutes. Uh, This idea of like, yes, you're getting me money, but it's blood money. This is what you did, and you're doing it out of your own avarice, not out of the goodwill of your heart. This just happens to be an externality from it. And I do wonder if 
just the the shades of gray in which Echo works are fundamentally misunderstood or just, you know, dispirited by his brother because of the edict that he operates under, that even if you are doing things in service of the Lord, sometimes lines are drawn, you know? God did eventually stop Abraham from sacrificing his son because even he knew that that was too far. And Yemi is approaching Echo here saying, well, the things that you're doing are not necessarily out of uh, a need to do things, and as a result, I can't exactly trust that you have the best intentions in mind for what you're proposing. Totally. Um, All right, so back on the island, uh, Kate is giving Sawyer a haircut, um, and we are all wondering where we can get our next haircut. Uh, Uh, Do you have a a plan in place, Mike? What what are you going to do with your hair? I I was like, I think if we were allowed to see each other, I would say, let's just cut each other's hair. Uh, (laughs) Because, I mean, this is going to be a big, depending on how late we go here with the lockdown, this is going to be just a big old Jufro by the end of it. I'll be looking like Michael a bit with, like, the big beard and the... (laughs) You're going to look hair. more like your uh, your Twitter avatar than ever. Exactly. Uh, with like just the big a, puffy hair. Stand up microphone that I'll borrow from Claire. Uh, but yeah, I mean, R.I.P. Sawyer's nasty ass possible wig. We <laughs> yeah. saw it at the end of the last episode, and now it's done this episode. Yeah, we're getting like the beginning story uh, threads of the long con here. That mm-hmm. like, oh, Sawyer, everybody loves you, man. Like everyone's so psyched that you're back. Uh, and Sawyer doesn't buy it. Bullpucky, he says. So uh, is, what is, do you think it's just that like he's ingratiating himself to the group? Is it because the rumor has spread that he took a bullet while trying to get Walt? Yeah, he took a bullet for Walt. You know, he was on the raft. Everybody who came back from the raft, at least you guys tried. I think people were psyched about the raft people. Uh, so Sawyer, like they're like, yeah, we heard what you said to Jack. You definitely scored MVP points for that scene. Uh, so like people are like high on Sawyer right now, and Sawyer is uncomfortable with this. This is very historically Sawyer. Mm-hmm. Sawyer like always feels super weird when people are like hyping him up. He's not comfortable like that. Like Tony Almeida, some people are more comfortable in hell, and Sawyer is one of those people. Uh, so when when Hurley comes up and says, "I'm glad you're back," uh, Hurley's uh, Sawyer's not going to like that. Even Michael is going to be like, he's going to take a hatch shift from from Kate. He says, mm-hmm. it's going to help me take my mind off things. We know that he has other plans. Uh, but he's going to tell Sawyer, I'm glad you're doing okay. Sawyer's just so uncomfortable with all this. He's just not here for it at all. To be fair, I think his reaction to Michael is very different from his reaction to Hurley. And I think that it's very subtle. But I think Josh Holloway's performance really speaks as to how Michael and Sawyer, they sort of have like a, a shared history now yeah right yeah. like they went through all the stuff from a drift they went through getting kidnapped by the tailies and sawyer nearly dying so it's one of those things where like sawyer i think if, if he's like power ranking people on this island kate's number one but honestly michael might be like michael and Jin might be like two and three up there just because he knows what they're what they're capable of as people and what they went through together for sure um, just a fun scene uh, where he's like, "You don't have a good shot at my neck with the scissors." Like, it's just, it's great. I, I like, I like seeing uh, Sawyer have some actual life back in him uh, at this point. Um, all right, so back in the jungle, Charlie and Echo are going uh, still on the walk. Uh, Charlie needs a water break. Echo doesn't like that they're they're stopping down. He wants to keep going. You think he laced the water with heroin? No, it's not impossible. I don't know. Uh, well, I mean, he claims he's not using, uh, and uh, you know. I think that we've got reason to believe him. I don't know. I'm when I saw those Virgin Mary statues at the end. My supposition was a little bit like when you uh, sneak vodka out of your parents' liquor stash and like pour water in to make it fill back up to that line that they marked. You know, like oh yeah, no, the statue's not broken. Otherwise, like how would I get to the heroin? And they like cut to all the other heroin uh, statues that he could easily replace if he does break one open. 
Did you actually do that? Were you a vodka thief? I was not a vodka thief, uh, but I was definitely at parties where people would do that to their parents' stash. Oh, so now you're uh, throwing your friends under the bus. Oh, absolutely. Pretty cool, Mike Bloom. Um, I don't know how to trust you ever again after something like this. (laughs) Um, I'm sorry. Look, Josh, no... I won't demarcate any alcohol that we try to share. If that's any indication, so that just make sure that any any absconding with liquor that I do, I will fully take blame for. Yeah. Okay. Sounds sounds like a plan. I'll I'll cover for you. How about that? Oh, all that's right. I like that. That's the that's the role I can play in the booze heist these days. I like a thrill. I haven't been able to shake the thrill. Um, so Echo and, and Charlie are going to stop in the jungle, and uh, Charlie's going to be like, "I'm not who you think I am. This is my brother's fault. Mm. It's his fault. I became an addict. Don't judge me, man." Uh, you know, he's giving him that whole that whole spiel. All of the stuff in the jungle, I think, like, Charlie's progression through the jungle is very sad to me, uh, where, like, he starts off by saying, like, here's the place, this is the spot, and I was like, this is clearly not the spot, and he's going to have to keep going. He's like, all right, so you can see through my BS. All right, so I'm not going to be lying to you anymore, but now I'm going to just come at you with justification after justification. And I think the difference between, and I think one of the reasons why these are great characters in contrast with each other is Charlie is not going to be a full character until he kind of like accepts himself in totality. Right. Uh, and that's why his, you know, his ending is going to be the most satisfying ending of almost anybody on Lost uh, when we finally reach that point at the end of season three. Uh, who he is in, in, you know, in regards to, to Echo. Um, like these are two people who I think are pretty different. Um, I think these are people who, for for Echo, at least he feels like some measure of like true acceptance with who he is and why he was the way that he was and why he's become the the person he's become. Whereas Charlie is still like looking for things to blame his circumstances on. Um, that's not really a game that Echo respects too much. Uh, so he's just not really engaging it very much at all. That being said. I do think that there's a part of Charlie's argument, however faulty it is, that does connect with Echo here, right? Because it's not coincidental that they both have brothers that, you know, they had certain disagreements with and may have unintentionally or intentionally gotten them involved in some illicit activities. In Echo's case, it was to protect his brother. Charlie tried to protect his brother and then ended up getting sucked down the drain along with him. And especially this insistence of, like, I'm a good person. I mean, we just spoke about Echo's code here. Again, I don't think he's necessarily saying, like, I'm on the same level as Charlie, but I'm sure he's heard the same words, essentially, that he's said in his own head sure. to help, you know, may, uh, help uh, not uh, to help essentially make up for some of the the more morally ambiguous things that he's done. And again, this is going to be a very interesting relationship, the two of them, that we're going to see a couple times uh, throughout the season. And, and I wonder if Echo does see a bit of himself. In Charlie, no, or, think, at least, or at least yeah. uh, sympathizes with him. Yeah, I, I think that you, you you actually bring up a really good point, and, and I think that that's punctuated by towards the end of the episode when Echo is going to give him a statue, where he's like, for the one that I broke. Right. It's kind of like, a, you're you're playing the hand that you were dealt, you get to choose how to do that. Mm-hmm. I think like there there is that level of Mr. Echo like not wanting to interfere with people and kind of wanting to let things unfold the way that they're supposed to unfold because that's how it's been for him. Um, and I think that that is very present in the relationship between Echo and Charlie here. And I bet that he does see a lot of those shades between himself and and Charlie here. Yeah, and, and um, compare that to, again, if we're comparing Echo and Locke, that versus Locke's, okay, you can ask for it three times. Like, it's still, right. is this ability of choice, but it's almost on a leash, whereas Echo is letting that doggy run free. Yeah, I mean, I actually think that, like, Mr. Echo is probably, like, look, if they let Mr. Echo live long enough, uh, he's, like, Jack by the end of the show. <laughs> you know, <laughs> like, where he is, like, he's, like, sort of, like, the, the man of reasonable faith. 
Yeah. Uh, you know, where he's not like fully blinded to it. Uh, like he lets his faith guide him, um, but he listens to like true instinct and like reason. Um, yeah, Mr. Echo was uh, not killed by the smoke monster. Maybe Lost would have been a lot shorter is the I'm, problem. I would also say that like it'd be interesting to sort of put him in some of those places. Like I think season four, the beginning, I think that maybe it's Echo and Locke creating these two separate camps for the majority of the season. Maybe- Ooh, in the alternate reality where Jack has been killed by the monster uh, in the early going of season three. Yeah, may- and maybe Echo is one of the Oceanic Six, which would be very interesting I don't exactly know uh, how that would be handled. If it'd be another Kate mm-hmm. situation where he gets arrested uh, for his crimes that he's he's uh, serving penance for, but yeah, it'd, it'd be interesting to sort of substitute in Echo because I do agree that I think he we spoke about him sort of being in the middle between Jack and Locke, but it almost seems like he is like uh, a Jack and Locke's clothing, where he has this uh, ability to really, while he does have faith, he's able to look at it with a, a more rational. Eye. So he's wearing Locke's bloody shirt, but mm-hmm. he's looking at things with a much more critical eye than someone like Locke would. He's got his own dirty shirt. Exactly. Uh, all right. So here's Goldie uh, is how he's named uh, mm-hmm. uh, by by the show is uh, one of Echo's guys. Uh, this is the the body that we saw drop in Deus Ex Machina. Speaking of, uh, and uh, and Charlie's like, "Whoa, you know this guy? Oh my God! Wait, you're a priest. Look at your scripture stick. You're a priest. You're a priest. He's a priest. You're a priest." Uh, so he's like really like very pleased with himself uh, that he has figured out Echo's backstory by uh, judging from the fact that he's got the scripture stick and he's also hanging out with dead priests. He's like, oh, I figured it out. I can't remember the ending of Lost figured out. I can't remember the Jesus stick. Was that coined in a previous episode or was this the episode when Charlie coins at that? I feel like uh, didn't uh, Sawyer say something about the scripture stick? Yeah, I forget maybe. exactly what he maybe, called maybe. it. Maybe before he, he fell uh, victim to his illness. I also like, again, very small thing, but when you know that he's looking for Yemi, the first thing he does with Goldie is tear open his shirt because he's looking right. for his cross. Uh, otherwise, yeah, you're just like, oh, he, he wants to check out the chest of this weird desiccated <laughs> body? Well, I think it's actually worth worth uh, stopping down to acknowledge, and you know, we're we're again getting a little bit uh, the the plane ahead of the crash, uh, quite literally in this case. Is that like, does Echo know definitively that Yemi is dead? Mm. Right, like Ye- Yemi gets shot. He loads Yemi onto the plane. He goes to get onto the plane himself, and then he gets immediately kicked off the plane. And he does not get to be with Yemi. Is Yemi, like, definitively, definitely already dead at that point? Does Echo know that for sure? Mm. Uh, Or, like, is his life just, like, completely upended in that moment? And he's just, like, sort of, like, punch drunk after it all. You know? Like, does does he know for sure? And I think that that's a piece of what he's looking for here. Right. Is, like, is there a possibility? Is my brother alive out here? I mean, it's a form of closure, certainly. Uh, And that even if he is dead, it's his ability to, especially as a man of religion as bastardized as it may be to like read the final rites as it were from a logical perspective i don't know how you don't think that a guy who went down in a hail of bullets is not definitely dead with very little medical care and a very shady guy up there in that plane i don't know you know he's we don't know if goldie uh, had some i mean some he did he did have sleep. very good words for goldie even though i guess they yeah. turned out to be more ironic at the end of the day this guy saved my life you know well maybe he saved him because uh, he had like had uh uh, gangrene or something. I don't know. And he's like, ah, that's gangrene. Got to get that checked. Yeah, out. exactly. Or he's like, oh, you got that here. I'll do this root canal for you, so you don't have yeah, access to. Yeah, it's, yeah. It's like, see, I've done my own work. Yeah. Know? Or like, oh, that uh, egg sandwich is going to lead to high cholesterol. Don't eat that. <laughs> don't eat that. Don't eat that. 
you can try. Uh, there's like a lot of egg replacers. There's like vegan eggs. Yeah, they, they didn't necessarily. He didn't necessarily link with saving his life to getting kicked off the plane. <laughs> yeah, uh, Charlie's the one who's like, none of this makes sense. If your plane took off from Nigeria uh, and it's here in the South Pacific, how does that happen? And that is a question that I don't think that we still really have a great answer to, other than the 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 island moves but it moved to nigeria i mean where were they flying to is the question like we know that these were moroccans that they were getting the drugs from but what was like the main location that they were going to sell to yeah how far can the plane go though you know yeah, like it's a little, how, a little wh- tiny little beachcraft. i mean because i mean if, if they had to cross the south pacific if i don't know if they're going to to the united states maybe that would make sense but otherwise yeah it might be just a teleporting island thing we know that it makes the uh, getting nearer it makes the controls go out of whack. Maybe poor Goldie just did not do enough flight simulator games on the computer and the mm-hmm. the Warlord it's hangout. Possible. It's possible. He's um, no right. Jack. He's no Jack. Yeah, <laughs> Jack would never have crashed the plane, of course. Yeah, and I would, and I would have saved Yemi's life too. Uh, yeah, you know what's a surprise is with all of that uh, that fu oceanic money that the Oceanic Six get, uh, Jack flying all over the world that he's not flying these planes himself. Yeah, exactly. Like, yeah, you know, his need- whole plan was to crash the plane, right? So maybe he should just crash yeah, the need, plane. Who needs Lapidus? Just put yourself yeah. in, like, no, I'll fly a Jira. Yeah, he took all those flight lessons. All right, flashback. Uh, Echo's going to storm back into to Yemi's church. He breaks up a confessional. Very rude. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. This you, is you, unforgivable. You know how, how long these poor women were probably waiting, and he's like, no, oh. no, no, show's over. Come back tomorrow. Uncool. Please. Uncool. Very uncool. Your sins he- don't matter. Mine do, even though they're not sins. He shows up. Uh, he says, "Make us the priests." I know you got. You think this is problematic? Make us the priests. We'll fly the stuff out. Uh, I'll give you the money for the vaccines. Uh, he says something that I think is really interesting that uh, you know fits thematically with what we're talking about with with Echo. Uh, you live in a world where righteousness and evil are very far apart, but that's not the real world. Yep, it's um, a to, to Echo. It's a circle. And these are two points that you could say are at an end of, are at different ends of a line, but when the end goes around in a circle, they're much closer to each other than if they were just in a straight old thing, which Yeppi is su- supposing here. Yeah, so uh, I, I thought that that was a really great line. Um, he says, I'm never going to hurt you. You're my brother, but my friends are literally going to burn this place to the ground. Uh, my friends are terrible. They will absolutely do horrible things to your house. So the ordination stuff... Was that him going through a formality, or was this another thing to appease to Yemi of like, look, we'll even become priests? Or is it for some reason, like, in order to get the clearance to load up the drugs, he'd have to actually show proof that he was a priest? I guess. I don't know. I think maybe in order to get the plane, maybe Echo is just like, I kind of always secretly wanted to be a priest. Yeah, exactly. Then be like, go on the computer when Goldie's not playing Flight Simulator and just register yourself. You can do that these days. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not sure what the logistics are, but he's gonna he's gonna get ordained. Uh, it's easier than uh, my process of getting ordained through the Universal Life Church. Um, he doesn't even have to use the internet for this. He just has to have his brother sign a thing, and there you go. It's done. Although uh, Yemi says this doesn't make you a priest. You could never be a priest. Uh, and he takes all the all the statues, uh, three hundred Virgin Mary statues to go, please. <laughs> and he says, I guess we're both sinners now. Uh, and Yemi says, maybe we are, but God's going to forgive me, Echo. Ooh, yeah, that's a burn. And that'll be, I mean, that seems like it's going to be one of the last things he says to him, right? Before they mm-hmm. encounter each other one last time on the airship. I, I totally agree that I think this is just such an interesting scene because Echo is really talking about this concept and sort of shaming Yemi as well by saying, like, we all do amoral things to honor faith. 
It's just that you and I have very different views of it. And, you know, if you're looking at it from a different perspective, what I'm doing is completely fine. But if you're looking at it from your very judgmental point of view, when you fail to look around and see the situation that you're actually in, you're a, you're in Flatland. You're a 2D character. You don't see the other dimension that I'm working in. Yeah, I think it's the idea of, like, we're going to get the, you know, very early on in Lost, literally in the pilot, there's the scene with, with Locke and Walt. And uh, Locke has the iconic line of, like, one is light, one is dark. Um, and there's, like, this setup that comes into focus at the end of the show of, uh, like, you know, the, the pieces that are being played between Jacob and the man in black and, like, the white and black stones in the cave and this idea of light versus dark. And I think that the the contrast is is there in so many different terms throughout Lost of science versus faith, one extreme versus another extreme. And the answer that Lost posits is, like, being on any end of an extreme is not the way to go. Exactly. That the the way to go is to blend them. Uh, is to like figure out what's the middle path. What's the what's the path that is both like uh, rational and righteous. Like what's the path that is both like uh, spiritual but reasonable. Um, and I think that that is like the way of living that Lost is arguing for. Uh, and I think that in some ways, that is that is what Echo is trying to say to Yemi. And I think what Yemi is saying to Echo, and I think Yemi is right in saying this to Echo, is like, I get that that's what you think. But what you're doing is much closer to the bad end mm-hmm. than you probably realize. Yeah, like like uh, even though even if, they're, even if they're close to each other, there's still a bad end. And you're right. on the bad end. You're closer to that. You're closer to that. And I think like it's, it's not going to be until his brother is killed that he's going to have that moment of like... Ah, uh, yeah. Okay, so maybe that was a little extreme. Mm-hmm. Maybe, maybe we've got to walk that back a little bit. Um, all right, this is the point where I am going to tell listeners of this episode of the Down the Hatch podcast, like, let's give you a little bit of a heads up. Not a bad time for you to, like, turn the volume down a couple of scooches. We're, we're getting into the penultimate sound of the episode. We're getting into the, to the echo meets the monster scene. There's going to be a lot of loud monster noises coming your way. Uh, so you may want to just like just like boost that audio down just a touch. Or crank it up if you really want to hear the you, monster. If you want to rock out to the monster sound. If you want to rock out with your smock out, uh, <laughs> this, is the, this is the chance to do it. Uh, but Charlie and Echo, they're, they're going through the jungle. Charlie's lost. He says, I'm lost. So he's the show. Uh, and he's going to say, I don't know where I am. I was with Saeed and a bag of rocks fell on my head. I have no <laughs> idea what's going on. And so Echo says, all right, well, then climb the tree. You'll see the plane that <laughs> way. And he goes, what am I, Kate? Yeah. He's like, no, literally go climb the tree. And Charlie's like, what? why do i have to climb the tree so i'm I'm, i was trying to think i'm trying to discern my foliage i know they're not michael none of them are are either one of the trees that charlie stopped at are either one of those the trees that he was hung from or do they just all look the same no no because the tree that he was hanged from i think was on a hill uh it was like the up the the muddy pit i don't think it's the same Mm. spot because i do wonder Uh, if there was some like some interesting uh but there may be like he may be like triggered by trees at this point i mean i can imagine so so when he says climbing trees like oh i don't want to do that because last time i did i came down in a very different fashion than i wanted to now here's a question for you mike uh when charlie is hanged by the tree that we got to that moment before we uh got to the to the point in lost in ooh and found where we realized that people on the island can transform into foliage Mm -hmm. is it possible uh in retrospect that ethan and claire who seemed to vanish very quickly after stringing up charlie um didn't actually vanish anywhere at all but were the tree 
that Charlie was hanging from. You know, maybe one of the reasons why they took Walt and only Michael is because they felt they'd already, the others had already mastered the power of transforming into trees. Right. So they're like, Michael, we don't need you. You know, we've got that covered. Your son, that's a whole new world. Yeah. So And, and unfortunately, Claire does not remember <laughs> how to turn into a tree. Maybe that's why she's gone for all of season five, is she remembers and turns into a tree. Yeah, and so she's just a tree for all of season five. I think that's a good working theory. All right, so Charlie's going to climb the tree. Uh, so who knows who that is? Uh, but he's going to climb the tree. He's going he's gonna to climb higher and higher. Show me the fever into the fire. Uh, I think Echo's saying to Charlie, you need to get higher. It's probably not what uh, Charlie yeah. needs to hear. Oh, all right. Let me moment. go show you my stash then. Yeah, all right. <laughs> See ya. Uh, but he's climbing higher, and there it is, the clackety-clack. Not a Maya Hawks teacher. Uh, you're hearing uh, the clickety-clackety. Oh, no. oh, God, <laughs> I forgot about that. <laughs> <laughs> so that's your thing season four. It's clickety-clack the train yeah, coming to Netflix. Coming. She's, she's coming. Uh, there's a lot of silence. It's very quiet. It's very tense. And then I hope that you lowered your volume because otherwise you can get an earful. Here it is, sound number seven. And then, and it's actually cool to listen to that. Yeah. And so like, it felt like I was inside the monster. It's a real soundscape because we do go literally inside the monster, which I know was a big point of time at the internet because when you freeze frame, because I'd lost, you freeze frame. I remember that there were actually images of faces in there yeah. and people were trying for weeks to connect it to like, do have we seen these people? Are these people that we're going to see? Are these spirits of the island? Of course, that turns out to be another concept of the mythos entirely. But I remember obviously having the monster here in the smoke made a big to-do among the lost community, and that was just one facet of it. No, a really, really, really cool scene. Uh, and this is a big moment uh, as far as the monster's character development, right? Like, this is this is the monster getting uh, the first lowdown on Echo. Uh, he wants to see what Echo's all about. He wants to look him in the eye the way that John Locke uh, and he looked in the eyes of each other once upon a time. Uh, and we get to see the exchange this time. And I think that that's because, like, there isn't, like, a reverence for the thing mm -hmm. from Echo that, that Locke had towards it. Uh, you know, Echo kind of just, like, sees this thing and is like, okay, weird. <laughs> and that's, like, basically his reaction. Like, when Charlie hops back down, he's like, oh, my God, did you see it? That's the thing. And uh, he's like, why didn't you run? He's like, I wasn't afraid. And, I wasn't scared. And they that's a, I that. mean, that's a huge comparison to the first time we, quote, unquote, saw the monster, he was tearing up trees and throwing things everywhere and having Charlie and Kate and Jack running afraid through the jungle. And so that definitely is something that piques the monster's interest. I mean, I just find 
this, if we're talking about vulnerability, I mean, this is the first time we just see the monster in full. You know, I think otherwise it's been sort of disguising himself in a myriad of forms, but also in throwing stuff and throwing other things around so much so that we don't get a real look at it. It's almost yep. Jawsian in that the, the fear comes in the unknown, in what we don't see. And here, it is out in the open. And just as Echo is challenging that, it also makes us sort of like turn on the lights a bit and see what's in the dark. And it's weird, but it also is like less scary than I think anything your imagination could come up with, at least compared to this idea of just black smoke. Yeah. Oh, it's great. Great stuff. I, I just, I love seeing... I love seeing the monster. I, I, you know, already talked about what it was like watching it the first time and just seeing it even all these years later in this moment and seeing it through Echo's eyes. Yeah. It's like, it's, it's like kind of like, who are you in this moment? Are you Charlie and like you're freaked out? Like, ah, what is it? Or are you Echo being like, all right, we now have a little bit more information about this thing that we're, you know, we've been trying to puzzle together. So like, I think like, your perspective on this moment is is kind of telling of who you are both as a loss and just like sort of generally yeah it's it's, um, a, it's a loss mit test yeah a little bit a little bit um all right at the hatch uh michael's gonna get on the computer you've got he's, mail you've got mail uh and it's he's gonna be i aming with walt who has like really great uh uh great online uh usage uh for for a boy his age y- you up um, probably uh yeah. Hey dad, you up? Uh you alone? Yeah. ASL. What up? NMU. NM Uh so they're talking and he's uh he's going to tell Michael you need to come and it's going to get cut off there. Michael presumably sees the next stuff but we don't. And then here comes Jack. Yeah, so the are you alone is cuz we talked last week about whether we felt that this was Walt or whether Walt was being coerced or led by the others to do certain things i think we settled on the latter and i feel like the are you alone question is another one that sort of supports that choice right like why would walt ask michael if he was alone unless you know they wanted only him to do something Uh, theoretically if you're walt you would be like i don't care if someone's i don't care if jack's with you come get me here it's okay you need to be alone so i could tell you and only you this information to manipulate you into doing something that i want you to do yeah, I gotta be honest, like, any universe where this is literally just, like, Walt IMing his dad without at least some assistance from the others basically makes no sense to me. Uh, it's just very hard for me to see, Mike. Yeah, I, uh, I completely agree, which, which makes things more interesting as well, considering that, again, the vast majority of the stuff with the others is going to be off-screen, so it's really up to us to connect the dots. And I find that much more enthralling, personally, than, okay... Walt sneaks away to this computer every night to talk with his dad. Yeah. Here comes good guy Jack, though, where he's like, listen, so, Michael, uh, here's the thing. We haven't talked about uh, Walt, and I just want you to know we haven't forgotten about him. I got no idea what you're going through. Uh, we're going we're gonna to figure this out. We're going to come up with a plan, and everything's going to be all right, and just hang in there. Think- and Michael's like, cool. <laughs> Um, I'm working on that already, and I'm not going to talk to you about what's going on right now. Did Michael, uh, turn off the, like, why is the screen black? Did he turn it off? Is it like when, uh, your coworker walks by and, you know, you're, they see that you're, like, browsing ESPN and you, like, quickly change to some sort of miscellaneous tab with a graph on it, so it makes it look like you're working? Is it possible that this is also another argument for the others are peeping on this conversation because they can, like, control the Swan Station computer and, and bluey it out? Yeah, like, I like, I like that idea. The that, like, they can, they can end the conversation themselves 
and because we don't even get the green carrot or anything, the little the little Moon Knight angry face, we just get mm-hmm. a completely black screen. I like Jack in this scene. This is Jack the leader, right? This is Jack. Jack, like the leader slash HR guy, reaching out to Michael, being like, "I can't imagine what you're going through." This also, I think, helps uh, contribute to like something that we talked about a few weeks ago of like, okay, now that you know these guys are back together on eight one five, why are they not immediately going to look for Walt? They're making mention of that. Uh, Mike uh, Jack is at least letting Michael know that they are considering it and that he has sympathy for this. He doesn't know that Michael is in an entirely different world at this point and that he's already loading up for if and when the time comes. But I think I think it's a nice gesture from him. I agree. Absolutely. I, I, I really like the friendship between Jack and Michael. And I feel like, man, poor Michael. If Michael just plays this differently, mm-hmm. if he just has a conversation here with Jack... Yeah, maybe maybe things go very differently than they end up going. No, I don't know. Jack does end up, you know, going forward with Michael's note plan. So he seemed like he was ready to go into the trenches with him no matter what. Yeah. All right. Uh, Echo and Charlie are going to reach the plane. The The tree climbing operation at least yielded the results of the planes that way. I know where to go. Uh, so they, they reach the plane. Echo goes inside and we get a flashback. Uh, and this is the this is the big moment, right? This is Echo and his friends are dressed up as priests. He's there with Goldie. Uh, they're getting ready to get out of town. Uh, and then Yemi drives up and says, "Don't do it. Don't go." Why did um, Echo take his hair out of the cornrows? Was it is that a more priestly look? I don't know. Maybe it's just uh, you know he just maybe he's like very recognizable. Oh yeah, uh, to to people around uh, his his area. Uh, as like the drug lord Mr. Echo. So he's like, all right, well, I'll just go for a quick little makeover and hopefully people won't recognize <laughs> well, me. Yeah. Oh, father, are you? Wait a minute. I know that hair. You're Mr. Mm-hmm. Echo. Yeah. So that could be it. You soulless uh, man. Yeah. It's like, uh, that's how they know. Uh, so they, they, they basically, uh, the military shows up. We get the indication that Yemi had, uh, had sold them out. Mm-hmm. Um, Though he is, you and- know, it, it's interesting to the shoes a little bit on the other foot here in terms of desperation where Yemi is like, Echo, you don't need to go through with this, especially not with sacrificing your life. Like, do not get on that plane. He knows that the operation is sabotage, but it's not that he's putting his brother on a death wish. He's still trying to save right. his brother's life. Right. Uh, sadly, it's all for naught. Uh, I guess Echo, you know, survives the, the shootout. Uh, but Yemi does not. Yemi gets shot. Uh, one of the other guys gets shot as well. His name's Ulu. Yeah, and he, and he uh, does this real he, asshole thing where he, like, smiles back like, hey, I'm pretty good at this. And then he just gets shot the hell up. In retrospect, maybe Yemi should not have, like, stood in front of the other priests that are not priests and jumped up and down and said, like, hey, don't shoot them. Like, theoretically, right. he just drew more attention to himself and did not look suspect at all dressed up like the actual people that were running the drugs. Yeah. Uh, poor Yemi does do that, though. <laughs> and he, he does not make it, and he gets shot here, and Echo panics, grabs his brother in his arms, but he loads him up onto the plane, is what he does. And uh, then Goldie has the body on the plane, takes one look at Echo, takes one look at the military, and kicks Echo off. Is it... Why? Why did he do this? I don't know. Maybe he thought he was just like, if I take time to bring you on, then uh, I don't know. Maybe he thought that Echo sold him out because Echo maybe. was related to Yemi. So he just had like a gut moment and, and kicked him off the plane. Maybe he, he needs a fall guy. Maybe this is just like a last minute betrayal that he wanted all the drugs for himself and wanted all the credit and he wanted 
uh, Echo to take the fall. I mean, we literally know yeah. nothing about this guy, so we can draw all the slow stories we want about the the mythos of Goldie. Bad friend. I yeah, very bad friend. I know Echo is great. Echo is a gracious guy, right? That in retrospect, he's like, all right, you know, what he did was actually a pretty pretty good thing for me in the long run. Uh, but he's uh, ultimately uh, that was a bad bad friend move. Yeah, though I mean, as Echo said, I guess it's whether this or a previous time. It saves his life. I am surprised that the military is just treating him completely innocently. Maybe it's yeah. because he saw him get kicked off the plane. Like, wait a minute. They wouldn't kick him. You know, if he was a real priest, of course they kick him off the plane. So let's treat him with, with kindness instead of, you know, the other priest guy that we gunned down without even giving a second thought. Yeah. Uh, it's a very sad scene. It's a very memorable scene uh, is Yemi's death. For a character who only has, what, three appearances on Lost total, this is one of one of the most impactful flashback characters, I think. Yeah, I mean, and, uh, and, and this, watching this him the, die, like, you just know, like, this is a good guy. Like, this is really sad. And this is, only, this is the only appearance of him as him instead of the smoke monster playing him. Right. So, very, very sad. Um, on the plane, Echo's going to find Yemi's body and he's going to cry. And it's a very, uh, uh, very sad, sad, sad. Yeah, Triple A, Triple A. I mean, he might, we have to, might have to put him up there with like the best criers on Lost because like he, the slow sob that he does is really damn good, especially. All the commendations for the world for having to do that with, like, a burnt corpse to try to, like, personify that. I noticed yeah. a bloody handprint on the door to the plane, Josh. Was that from Locke, you think, when he was dragging Boone out? Mmm, it could be. Uh, it could be that. It could be... Could be Goldie? Uh, it could be Goldie. It could be Yemi. Like, maybe it took a little longer for Yemi to go. Um, who knows? Could have been Echo uh, putting Yemi onto the plane. I'd assume his hands were covered with blood. Yeah. Yep, so a lot of different culprits. We'll have to get forensics on it uh, to, to find out the answer. Uh, poor Echo, yeah, he's, he's holding this burned corpse tight. He's, like, drooling a ton. He's just crying a lot. It's very sad, and we get that juxtaposed with the final flashback of the episode, which is very, very quick. Uh, and it's this soldier who rolls up to Echo and says, are you okay, father? Uh, so Echo immediately now has his cover, right? Mm-hmm. Like, these people don't know he's Mr. Echo. The hair change worked. Yes. Uh, they <laughs> have but no now idea he's cursed because he can never put his hair in cone rows again. Those I know, and that's definitely, definitely his favorite. If he had survived long enough, maybe, on the island, uh, he would have gotten back Oh, you think maybe it. Kate could do it? She seems to be the best hairstylist on the yeah, island. Yeah, she's the hairstylist. She's the hairstylist, so that would have worked out really nice. Um... So back on the island, uh, Echo's going to be with Charlie, uh, and Charlie, who now like kind, I think like through this mission maybe has like more appreciation for for Echo. Charlie's ultimately a good guy, and like I yeah. think he sees a person crying and in clear agony. Yeah, I, I think uh, I think for and Char- is going to recognize that. I think for Charlie, it was more so like I don't know anything about you, and he says this before the monster comes, right? Like, what gives you the authority to like order me around? I know nothing about you, and you know nothing about me. He's gotten to know more about him and realize, you know that he has a heart and that he has connections with people. And I think that gives him a much better understanding and by proxy, more respect for him. For sure. Uh, yeah. And I think hearing it's my brother, that's obviously very triggering for Charlie. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, uh, you know, he's going to help him out as best as he can. Um, Echo's going to give Charlie the statue. He's going to say, this is for the one I broke, uh, which, you know, I think speaks a lot, a lot towards Echo's like sense of morality, and like we've talked about, uh, key differences between him and John Locke. Where Locke wouldn't—I don't think at this point Locke would give him the statue. I think at this point, he'd be like you can ask me three times yeah. for a substitute statue, or like I put the uh, statue up in the tree in the caves. You must find it. This is a vision mm-hmm. quest. By the way, I'm going to spread some paste on you. Good luck, Charlie. 
Yes, uh, very, very fun. Uh, <laughs> so that's what's going on with Echo and Charlie. And then we get to basically the end of the episode. There's mm-hmm. still some more stuff to talk about, but let's bring in a sound, um, some really beautiful Giacchino score uh, that's going to happen here as we are going to get uh, Mr. Echo, the priest, uh, in full, uh, full biblical regalia. Let's listen in. Sound number eight. Are you a priest or aren't you? music that that plays with it uh but it goes for a long time but it it underscores a really good montage Mm -hmm. um it's the kwans saying hi to anna lucia with a little bit of a housewarming (laughs) housewarming fish steak warming fish (laughs) uh yeah Uh, which i I wasn't entirely sure about i mean obviously that occurs when echo's talking about thou preparest a table of food in the presence of my enemies so it's a bit on the nose but i wonder like Are we drawing parallels here? Is Anna supposed to become like the new Echo-like arc of someone who did something bad but is now right, atoning right. for it? Uh, and then it segues into like this cute little piano and strings duet where get a little bit of a meat cute here, Josh. Yes, Libby and Hurley. First contact. Well, I mean, first contact. Who's that the Zep from Cochrane now? Yeah, the first contact that Hurley knows of. I, right, I exactly. believe that the way Libby looks at Hurley, I think she recognizes him. Oh yeah, for sure, and especially if we're following the theory that she's uh, she's AOJ, agent of Jacob, mm-hmm. right? Uh, and then she's definitely uh, she's she's all in. She knows who Hurley is. She's like, I'm from the future. I've seen we we have a very happy. Ooh, what if that's it? What if uh, Libby uh, it comes from the future and like she zaps back in time, and that's how she ends up in the mental institution? Uh, and it's why Hurley and Libby, even though they have a very brief time together on the island, are going to end up falling in love. Uh, because uh, Libby is uh, going to have had all of that future time with King Hurley. Mm, interesting. Let's canonize that. Let's canonize that. So then, that. well, when we get into Two for the Road, does her death, 
is it inevitable? Was it her attempting to go back in time and like remediate that? Uh, no, Hurley probably like was going to tell her, and she's like, "Don't tell me. I don't want to know." <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, no, you really want to know. It's not good. It's very she's bad. Like, nah. I feel very. Don't tell me. I'm gonna. Tra- I'm gonna travel back in time, so you can't tell me. God damn it. Okay, just tell me to remember. <laughs> to, tell me to bring the blanket. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, so, but the, so before we move on to the the Jack and yeah. King Sawyer stuff, just talking about the the twenty third Psalm itself, the titular twenty third Psalm. I mean, it's very thematic on Lost. The, the Lord is my shepherd. We have a character literally named Shepherd, but there's always this idea, right, of like some characters following the will of a being, not necessarily realizing it even, but like someone looking over them and hurting them. That's obviously something that comes up with Jacob and the candidates that the man in black is working against. I think, honestly, my favorite moment of this scene is when Charlie joins in. Like, I know we give Charlie a lot of guff, as you mentioned, for this episode and for what's to come, but, you know, Charlie has never really talked about his religion before. It just so happens that he was holding on to the Virgin Mary statue, and that's why Claire said he was religious. But it's something that I don't think he's really embraced since he was a kid because of everything he's been through. But he decides to to join in, and it, it's something that he's finally embracing, and he will be embracing for a short amount of time. And of course, when does he join in? When he talks about the Valley of the Shadow of Death, uh, yeah. or, which is a misnomer, should be the Shadow of the Valley of Death, I think. Or they, they mix it up either way uh, in the actual episode. But knowing what's to come with Charlie, it makes a lot of sense. Absolutely. Uh, so the montage continues playing. It's Libby and Hurley. Uh, it's Sawyer admiring his new haircut <laughs> as Jack walks by, gives Sawyer the medicine, and uh, Kate is very awkwardly just like, yeah, let's just not talk at yeah, all. Let's not talk about, about the time things. we kissed and then I ran away. About that stuff that happened. Uh, and Charlie's going to come back home to Claire, and there's really no home to come back to. He's been kicked to yeah, the curb. She, she packed the- up all two of his suitcases. Yeah. It's the island equivalent of uh, his partner has dropped all of his suitcases out the window, uh, and his clothes are scattered on the on the on the side of the street. Uh, and she says, "I can't have you around my kid." Yeah, he says, "I'm sorry, I, I wasn't doing it. It just made me feel safe to have around." And I I buy that from Charlie. Uh, it doesn't mean that that's good, right? Uh, but I, I buy that from Charlie, and I more than buy from Claire at this point of like, yeah, I've known you for a month. I don't remember a lot of it. You've been aggravating me a lot recently, anyway, and you are questionably uh, addicted to heroin currently. So I probably shouldn't have you around my baby. Well, this is a this is a sad thing for Charlie, but a fairly easy call for Claire. Completely, complete. I think she's completely founded to do this because i mean also there's a bit of betrayal here let's remember that charlie was one of the people who like when she was super scared after coming back and having lost her her memory charlie was the one that really helped ease her back into a fairly normal routine so that built so much trust and i cannot imagine how much of that trust she felt was desecrated when she found out what charlie was hiding from her considering how dangerous that situation is there's actually a deleted scene from this episode where uh, we, we, we are missing Saeed in the episode proper, but apparently his scene got cut from this episode, where Saeed is sort of mourning um, on the rocks, and Claire goes to Saeed, and basically, I guess this is post, uh, you know, the Echo confrontation, where she asks Saeed if Charlie knew that the drugs were in the Virgin Mary statue before he quote-unquote found it. Saeed asks why Claire is asking, and Claire states that she has to know because Charlie is taking care of her baby and could be a danger. So that's, that's it right. as well, too. Let's remember, a few episodes back, Charlie was pushing away Claire at points to be like, let me take care of the baby. 
If you're saying, hey, let me, the drug addict, take care of your baby, that is not a good look. Not a great look. Not a great look at all. Um, all right. And then we get to the end of the episode. And Charlie's been kicked out. He goes in the middle of the jungle. He's got, you know, the one stash that broke earlier, and now it's been replaced by Echo. Like, he really didn't even need it. You know, in retrospect, when Echo smashed stashes. the Virgin Mary statue, they really should have used that Wet Hot American Summer sound effect. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. I think that that would have been good. <laughs> Blink! <laughs> yeah, that would have been good. That would have been good. Uh, but they did not use that. And, uh, yeah, that's uh, that's that's the 23rd Psalm. That's a... I don't know. The, the more I think about it, uh, and I guess we're just skipping a little bit of, ahead is like talking a little bit about episode scores, but like, is that not a perfect episode of Lost? I think that that's a perfect episode of Lost. I would not say perfect. Uh, I think it's pretty close to perfect I, if it's not perfect. Th- talk me through this because right now my score is a little bit in flux. I came into this with a four uh, and right now I kind of want to push it up. I could, I could, I could be convinced to push it up to a four point one, but I might right now. I want to put it to a four point two. I think that this is a. Why is this not a perfect episode of Lost? To me, a perfect episode of Lost is something that where every second of the episode feels like meaningful and capitalized. You know, it doesn't feel like anything is extraneous, and the Echo stuff is brilliant. But I, I don't know. Like, it's not to say that the Michael stuff or the Sawyer Kate stuff is bad i just feel like if i'm comparing it to other episodes that i personally scale scored a 4.2 it seems a little more extra and unnecessary it's a little bit of uh some chaff on the wheat stalk okay i think i can see that um i think like it helps build those stories out uh i think it it helps get us set in uh in into the direction of what's gonna happen with michael um and i think it's like very effective stuff but I guess it's not a perfect episode because Locke chooses the rant. <laughs> and that's just very, very out of character Locke, for the screwed. man. You know what? Locke was bitter that we didn't give orientation of 4.2, so he'd screwed this episode by proxy. All right. I know I'm, I'm, I'm spoiling it, but now I've, I've been convinced. I'll, I'll boost to a 4.1. Okay. It's that ranch that's going to prevent it from being a perfect episode for me. <laughs> the ranch has spoiled the episode. Good job, Mike. You did a good job here. You talked me down. I think uh, very appropriate. All right, let's get into the others. Let's get into some behind-the-scenes details, plus your feedback, dear listener. Um, This is from the Lost On Location feature that apparently the character name of Echo was created by Adewale Akinoye Mm -hmm. I didn't didn't know this, um, that the character was originally named Amika, Mm -hmm. uh, which is a name that's later used in The Cost of Living. Um, But being authentically Yoruba, AAA wanted to use a Yoruba name, and he chose Echo and added the Mr., and that became his name, uh, which was, was pretty interesting. Uh, I, I had no idea that he had such agency in the creation of Mr. Echo. Yeah, it's, he's really interesting in this Lost on Location, because what he sort of implies is that he felt up until this episode that he and the writers had two different takes on the character. Like, he outright says when he was initially pitched on the character that he thought the character was going to be more passive than, for example, beating certain people with sticks. And I will not include a certain preposition there. Uh, to keep things clean. But (laughs) this episode filled in a lot of those blanks for him. And so he basically says, you know, this was the beginning of my interpretation of the character being bridged more with the writer's interpretation of the character. We began to get more onto the same page. Unfortunately, he was not getting on the same page with the state of Hawaii, which is why, unfortunately, the Mr. Echo story ends where it does. 
Yeah. Uh, so here's another interesting behind the scenes uh, tidbit uh, is that uh, this is coming from the Ben behind the curtain who's pulling this from uh, the commentary track on the 23rd Psalm uh, that Lost cast their on-site caterer, Mumin El Haji. I apologize if I'm, if I'm botching the pronunciation as the Moroccan drug smuggler uh, that we see in the flashback scene due to a lack of Moroccans in Hawaii. Uh, and this man's real life son also played the role of his son on the show. Uh, this is also uh, an additional contribution that he made to the to the lost mythos in addition to to keeping uh cast and crew uh fed and happy uh is that he created dharma cookies <gasps> for the show uh that's shown in a short easter egg with josh holloway uh on the season two american dvds uh i, I don't know if it made it into the actual canon uh of dharma cookies or if this was just supplied for the cast do, and do crew you, members do you think they made the cookies on like great. the orientation day when they would bring all the new recruits <laughs> to the island like we'll see in namaste yeah maybe <laughs> it's possible have a dharma cookie please welcome to becoming a slave in our corporation uh and the ben behind the curtain also pointed out what you had pointed out earlier about the uh the kinks and how the lyrics to uh to the song uh he's evil um really do apply very nicely to the man in black ultimately Uh, he comes on smooth cool and kind but he wants your body not your mind he's got style personality but he's the devil in reality uh yep i mean that's him that's the guy you could also say like that's sawyer to a certain extent uh, it's a lot of people. Yeah, huh? it's a lot. I mean, a lot of it's again. It's this idea of masks and the face that you present, whether intentionally or unintentionally. Yeah. All right. Let's get into feedback from the listeners, uh, which of course you can send our way down the hatch at postshowrecaps.com is the way to do that. This comes from Phoebe Nugent. Phoebe writes in. I feel like a really dumb Lost fan for never figuring this out, but I still don't know why the smoke monster doesn't attack Mr. Echo in the 23rd Psalm. Is it because he isn't afraid? Is it because he wants to use Echo for something? Is there something special about him? Echo's been a favorite of mine since my first watch, but I am still missing a big piece of the picture. Um, Mike, I think we've talked it through, but sometimes maybe we just like talk it as if it's a given and it's certainly not a given. Um, But it's like my interpretation has always been that the monster is looking at Echo as potentially the guy that he can use for the same role that he ends up using John Locke for, which is to say he's going to use Mr. Echo to push events into the appropriate places to get him to have a corporeal form again, to kill Jacob and to cheese it from the island and if the option is between breaking out of here as old man admittedly like hot old man john Locke, or like hot young man mr echo uh, i think if you can you're gonna choose mr echo is the is the move um but he's going to ultimately come to find out in his further analyses of mr echo that echo is not a moldable guy uh lock is a moldable guy so that's always been my interpretation of it the bend behind the curtain notes that um on the lighthouse and in the list of candidates mr echo is candidate 76 so theoretically that means that the monster shouldn't be able to kill mm. Mr. Echo, but he does. So, so we'll put, I don't know. I don't know what you want to do with that. Let's put a pin on it until we get to the cost of living. Cause I wonder if there is something in like the rules of being a candidate where you can abdicate your candidacy, whether you mean to or not. And like, yeah, you say like the magic words by accident. Exactly. Like maybe echo did something in that moment with the confession or with anything he did beforehand that like denounced his candidacy. And so that left the monster to be able to attack him. Yeah, could be, 
Could be. Uh, but that's always been my, my read on it. Yeah. That's always been my interpretation of it. And that's uh, a big piece of what makes the Echo arc very satisfying for me, ultimately. So I think if you, if you want to start looking at the character that way, that he's being, he's being groomed, potentially. And ultimately, he's going to reject the grooming process. And so the monster will be like, oh, well, then, uh, since you're obviously a very skilled warrior and a smart, shrewd dude, I should probably kill you now. <laughs> Uh, and so that's why he's going to do that. Uh, always been my interpretation. Uh, from Stefan Johnson. Uh, step aside, parent issues. The three main characters with brother issues are Charlie, Echo, and Smokey. And we see them share a scene here. Do you think the man in black has much in common with these two? Stefan, look at you uh, calling something out that I've never once considered. Yeah, but all, there you go. All, There's this great sibling rivalry uh, scene that's playing out with Charlie, Echo, and Smokey here. Yeah, and it is sort of like... I don't know. It, it's a is it a comparison to like Cain and Abel? Where I mean, we'll we'll literally get it with uh, with Jacob and the Man in Black about like one kills the other. But Charlie and Liam don't necessarily kill one another. Though Liam sort of does it with Charlie. Echo sort of gets Yemi killed here. So I feel like there are some comparisons there as well. This idea of like they're not two halves. They're not twins. But this idea of like almost two peers from the same bloodline taking things so differently is such a, a great recurring theme throughout loss. And this is a part and parcel for it. hundred percent. All right, let's keep going. Uh, from the great Jim fells, um, the writing in the scenes with echo and Yemi in the church is so rich, so layered. Every line has so much meaning for it. Um, for confession to mean something, you must have a penitent heart basically foreshadows echoes death scene. That same scene directly references. I've only done what I needed to do to survive. The short conversation covers themes of survival, faith, redemption, good, and evil, all major themes of the show in general, but explored from such a unique perspective here. Uh, totally agreed, Jim. I think that's a big piece of why we ended up spending so much time on it. Yeah. Um, and a real knockout uh, from, from Damon and Carlton, yeah. I think. Uh, really, if not for that ranch, Mike, I think that this is a perfect episode. And I think that, uh, I, again, like we have to look as to why these two decided that they were going to helm this episode themselves. And I think it's a fundamentally important episode for not only the character— but as Jim said, a very different perspective on the themes that we have experienced thus far on Lost, showing that there are even more colors to the palette than we initially expected when we looked at the painting. Uh, Eric Divestein writes in, Why did Yemi say he was saving Echo's life when he showed up at the plane? Did he mean he was giving him a chance to walk away before the military showed up to shoot them? Or did Yemi somehow know something about the fate of the plane? Um, I would posit, Mike, and you tell me what you think, that Yemi thinks by facing justice, Echo's soul will be saved. Yes, I uh, or oh, that's interesting. I was gonna say I don't, I do not think it's the latter. About I don't think this is like a Richard Malkin situation of like don't get on the plane. You're not supposed to do that because it's going to crash. Uh, yeah, I wonder if in facing arrest and like going quietly, it's a manner of salvation and finally atoning for his sins, even if it's against his will. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I think that that's it. I think it's like, this is going to be good for you, man. It's like, it's, you know, uh, it's like rehab mm-hmm. almost is sort of like the idea here. Yeah, it's this like, is, we're going to wake you up from being a warlord. Right now. It's military yeah. intervention, literally. Uh, back to Stefan. Echo says that drugs are not his normal business. So what do you think his normal business is? I don't know, car salesman? <laughs> exactly. I mean, listen, coming down to crazy echoes, car dealership, we sell. Maybe, yeah, he's a, he's a, a knife manufacturer, and it's just another way that ties his story to lot. Yeah, he goes, he goes from house to house just selling his knife. No, I mean, I could imagine, like, general mafia dealings, maybe extorting money from other villages, uh, you know, laying the beat down on other gangs that might exist. Like, I, I, it doesn't necessarily be tied into drugs every day, but I can imagine yeah. general criminal activity. 
Um, from Riley Wigmore, who wants to uh, expound on the Charlie stuff from this episode. Riley writes in and says, Here I am, someone who hates the Charlie character assassination arc of season two, who is about to defend the beginning of that character hmm. assassination arc. Uh, Riley writes, I work in mental health and addictions. The behaviors that Charlie displays in this episode, hoarding of the Virgin Mary statues, keeping a statue nearby just in case, and the rationalization of the behavior and lying and the justification, these are incredibly realistic. Those with addictions can find keeping the drug of their choice nearby comforting so they have it just in case even when sober like a security blanket and to them all of this rationale and is fine because they aren't using and they'll lie assuming it's for the best to not worry anyone and when called out on it will get insanely defensive as we see with charlie very real uh charlie charlie uh, claire shunning charlie after this riley continues is also unfortunately incredibly realistic while the best reaction is most likely to listen and be understanding and help them in getting rid of their stash and supporting them to help with relapse prevention most often what happens is shunning which increases the odds of a, a relapse this was all incredibly real and incredibly depressing it's all very well written in my opinion this has been my defense of the charlie arc in the 23rd psalm i shall defend none of what comes <laughs> after uh, again from one their hands of this whole situation <laughs> From one wig to another, Riley. I, I, I agree. Uh, and as somebody who's like been in the Charlie seat, like it, it feels very real, realistic. Uh, like I, I, like even now, like I, I still can very, very easily imagine myself, uh, falling into some of these behaviors. Like I'm, I just like very candidly, uh, I have been like finding myself in a position of like, Maybe I'm ready to to you know get back into some of this stuff. Like maybe like this isn't going to be a forever thing to me. Like you know I'm I'm like much more mentally stable now than I've been. And like I had to have like a real thorough conversation with my therapist the other week to like say all that stuff out loud uh, and basically be like me like even like having to like have like deep conversations to like justify this stuff suggests that i'm probably very unprepared for this Mm. stuff uh and that it would be very bad for me to backslide in this way so like i i can even still sense that like i'm at risk here uh and i i could really smell it on charlie in this episode it's just another occasion of the charlie arc coming to meet me where i am um so hopefully by the time we get to fire plus water i will not have used at that point and have started hallucinating crazy shit uh from the beach, uh, much like Charlie does. I don't want to meet Charlie where he's yeah, at. Yeah, I was gonna say otherwise a ball man's gonna come to you and violate social distancing and knock you in the face. Yeah, I don't want anything to do yeah. with that. So, uh, but but seeing seeing a lot of like what I'm feeling right now, actually, uh, you know, and stuff that I've been through in the past, uh, being reflected at this point in uh, the 23rd Psalm through Charlie, made me feel really connected to the character mm. this week uh, in a way that I don't think I'm necessarily gonna feel uh, in some of these episodes moving forward. But I, I totally agree with Riley that I think it was done really well yeah. in this episode. And I think that Riley's perspective is very interesting on Claire. Because I would also say, naturally, Riley's totally right. That, like, the best thing you would want to do is not, Generally, is not shun yeah. them. But, but they're strangers, but also, you know? Like, they don't know each also, other. And also, again, he's taking care of her child. She feels like she needs to do it for her own safety. Uh, so I, I feel like maybe it's, it's even less of an emotional decision and more of, like, a pragmatic one of, like, even if I'm weaning you off of this, I can't have you near my child. And I don't yeah. trust my child with nearly anybody else. So unfortunately, I have to choose him over you. Uh, from John Krause. It's never sat right with me that Michael's first reaction to getting instant messages wasn't, holy effing shit, we're saved and contacted the outside world. Hey, everybody come in here right now. Why does he keep it to himself? I mean, the last time he did that, his son got taken. I think he's a little understandably leery about uh, some, some signals here from the outside world. 
Gun shy, gun shy. Uh, Daniel Brennan is uh, on my team about the ranch. Daniel writes in, considering that the castaways don't yet know about the Dharma food drops, they've only had access to a consistent food source for a few weeks. Why the heck are Rock and Michael using the tub of ranch dressing for target practice? All right, uh, here's what I want to do. Because I feel like inevitably they're going to use foodstuffs. Let, can we have people write in and offer up, let's say they have an unlimited pantry, offer up some substitutes of things that if you have to use for target practice. Oh, can. I mean, if it's an unlimited pantry, I have no problem with them shooting the ranch. Well, no, I'm not I'm coming not, here to, like to a, you as a, as a ranch stand. No, I'm talking like, about like a Noah's Ark thing of like one of everything, you know, like uh, like unlimited in terms of quantity of just ver- variety of things. Like, hell, mm. shoot up, uh, you know, get yourself the best cut of beef and see if you want to shoot that. Like, I'm, I'm, in, I'm inclined to hear some more suggestions as to if you have to shoot a food what food would you shoot what's the food what's the food to shoot uh do you have an answer i would go with pop rocks because i think that would be interesting that'd be also very hard to do unless it's yeah, one giant so ec- pop crystal yeah you're an expert marksman if you can pop some pop rocks i feel like it would probably be like a, a meat that i would not want to partake in personally uh so maybe a, a seafood like a swordfish i'm not a big fan of swordfish and that'd be kind of fun shooting at a swordfish yeah that could be fun shooting the a swordfish, swordfish don't stab back yeah, <laughs> as far as we know, we don't know. <laughs> we don't know. We don't know. Locke we... never went hunting swordfish. Oh, so if he, only. He... Oh man, imagine. And that I don't think you and I have ever gone hunting swordfish. So maybe the swordfish uh, does. Yeah, shoot the episode back. where, or at least, sword fights you back. The season seven episode where Jin hunted a swordfish. We never would have seen. Uh, yes, and uh, that's the zombie season because Jin is obviously back as a as an undead zombie uh, fighting the swordfish underwater. Mm. Uh, and that's an and entire just... episode. And the Dharma uh, shark then... saves the day. <laughs> Yeah, and then zombie John Locke pops out of the coffin uh, by uh, the four-toed statue where he's been buried, uh, and he uh, gets into a knife fight with the sword, the swordfish. Yeah, the swordfish really becomes the big bad of season seven. Yeah, the swordfish is the new smoke monster, uh, for sure. All right, Cinnamon Carr with some, uh, with, with a, uh, this is something that I knew. I don't know if you know this, Mike, uh, certainly not something that's like very popularly known, but this is really crazy. Uh, in the short-lived 2019 ABC show called The Fix, the main character, whose name is Sevi Johnson, is played by Adewale Akinoye Gabaje. He's an actor who's accused of murdering his girlfriend, mm. and he's watching some of his old film and TV performances. The performance shown is a clip from the 23rd Psalm, where Echo is playing a priest slash drug lord. <laughs> Why create a fake show for Sevi to reminisce over when you own the rights to an old show that the same actor was in? So in, in the universe of The Fix... Uh, Sevy Johnson, I guess, must have played Mr. Echo on Lost. I suppose so. But then that makes it like, considering what Sevy Johnson is known for, I don't want AAA to be affiliated with that. Like, mm-hmm. oh, this yeah. girlfriend killer is really based on Adewale's lifestyle. That's just pretty wild, though. Yeah, that's that's crazy. I mean, it's also understandable. Like, ABC's like, we've already got the footage of him. Let's just use yeah. it. Um, uh, looking back at last week, we did put out the call about, like, uh, what's what's up with these computers? Someone tell us what's going on with these computers. We're not computer experts. Good thing we've got a few in the audience. This is from Jim Crumley, Mike, who writes it and says, I'm here to give you more info than you probably want about magnetic tape storage. Uh, You asked about the reels of tape on the computers. Yes, magnetic tape was used for storage on computers and probably still is used for backups in some places. For computers that old in the 60s and 70s, the tape could have been the main form of storage for the computer. Even when personal computers became a thing, tape was still used as storage. The first home computer that my family had was a TRS-80. It used audio cassettes for storage, the same 
kind that played in old boom boxes before we got a floppy drive for it. My biggest experience with reels of tape was working in college in the 90s. So there's no problem with the timeline. Oh. Um, the 90s is italicized, too, in the comment from Jim. So I, I don't know if that means like he's emphasizing the 90s or if like he's stylizing the 90s as in like uh, when I was working in college in the, the hit TV show, The 90s. Oh, yes, when I played uh, that computer room worker next to, uh, <laughs> to Sevy Johnson in one of his so many works. Yeah, so th- this is perfect. Thank you, Jim, for filling us in. And I wonder maybe in another time uh if they had different episodes they were plotting out like you could imagine that there's probably rolls and rolls of that tape then right that depicts Uh previous sessions i wonder if uh, an inquisitive john locke would have like looked into that you know like maybe we we saw stuff from the pearl station maybe then he would have saw when uh desmond accidentally made the plane crash for example what would what would electromagnetic tape look like i i don't know maybe it's just a little more crackly like it has static electricity on it so your hair stands up when you touch it uh, what's the report from Jim Fells, the music analysis this week on the 23rd song? Give us the taste. Surprise, surprise, it's all Echo. Uh, interestingly enough, so Echo has a main motif that's actually connected to the Beechcraft because of this episode, but it's based off of the first time we hear the Beechcraft motif back in Deus Ex Machina. Uh, there's an action motif that plays during the shootout at the airstrip that has played during a couple of other shootouts uh, when Jacob gets ornery during Man Behind the Curtain and also the shootout that happens at Dharmaville in The Variable. Uh, and then there's also sort of like a a, a, a a motif that echoes anytime there's like a parachute or a helicopter that happens when Echo sees Goldie. Like uh, one final example is like the final scene of "Live Together, Die Alone" uh, as a, as like a, a good example of that. Uh, and then there's a song that plays when uh, when Echo is reciting the psalm that we heard. Is also plays when he baptizes Aaron at the end of the infamous fire plus water, and also when Libby dies. So it's like a weird linking to L- Hurley and Libby from beginning to end. It seems. Cool, 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 cool. All right, let's link to the MVPs and LVPs. Let's get to the 23 points for the 23rd Psalm, Mike. Um, I think it should come as no surprise we're entering this episode with Mr. Echo as uh, approaching, uh, really just like dominating the season two ratings here that he's probably going to come out with a couple of additional points here. Uh, I get two MVPs this week. Mike, you get three. And I'll just tell you that one of mine is very much going to Mr. I mean, I'm going to give one as well. I mean, again, say what you want to about the motives behind the actions he committed when he was off the island. But I mean, for me, it's really a triple A acknowledgement because I think he just does such a great job you know, he did such a good job when he's a silent character. He does such a good job when he helms an entire episode. Like, the man can do no wrong. The character can do no wrong here. And that's, he is a very large reason why this episode is as sublime as it is. Yeah, and he goes up against the smoke monster and walks away with no problems. Uh, now, here's the problem. So I'm I'm tempted to give my second of two MVP points uh, to Echo, just to double down on Echo or to give it to the monster because the monster is exhibiting like a measure of, of flexibility and being clever and keeping his options open here with Mr. Echo. Is that too fan fiction-y? Does the monster earn an MVP point here, or is Echo so awesome in this episode that he should get both of mine? Considering where I'm going to go with our LVPs, I'm going to let you be fan fiction-y and say the monster here. Because look, I mean, okay. let's, let's also go off the street. We saw the horse last episode. We saw the smoke this episode. <laughs> Yeah, let's push him forward. All right, sure. Uh, my second point's going to go to the monster, then. You've convinced me. All right, I'm going to give a point to another member of the Echo family. I'm going to give one to Yemi, the OG Yemi, not the monster as Yemi. 
Uh, because again, even if he might view judgment upon Echo's choice of lifestyle, he does try to save him in the end. He does support his brother and the love that they show while complicated. Uh, I think it's sweet. And I'm, I sort of foreshadow it earlier in this episode, but this is going to be uh, a Jack MVP episode, even though he only has one scene and like one awkward look at Kate. I appreciate when he wanted to be there for Michael when it seems like literally nobody else has. Um, I'm not, obviously I've, I've given my MVP points and I've got three LVP spots and I'm notorious for giving LVP points to people who die. Uh, but I've also broken the rule before and I'm not going to give Yem, Yemi an, uh, LVP point, uh, because this is our only chance to really address Yemi. And if I give Yemi an LVP point here, then he's going to just be forgotten in all of the MVP LVPs because the future appearances of him are as the smoke monster. I can't do that. That, I feel mm. terrible about that, and I'm I'm not going to dock him. We're going to keep him on. So instead, I'm just I'm going to give an LVP to Ulu and Goldie, who both die. You think we can maybe uh, maybe we'll group them together as like the Nigerian warlords or something? No, I'm gonna I'm gonna break them out. I'm gonna break them out. Remember Ulu, who who uh, very vaingloriously pushes. Uh, uh, well, I guess Goldie's the one who pushes Echo out. So he's a bad friend. Well, so he gets an LVP. Plus he dies, and then Ulu is like really cocksure. Where he's like, "Yeah, I got this." And he gets his eye off the prize, and he gets killed. In another universe, uh, so Ulu goes on to fund his own little crime ring, which is a streaming service for television and movies. Uh-huh, that's right, that's right. Uh, so I'll put that on Ulu and Goldie, and then my third LVP is going to go to Locke for using the ranch. <laughs> Poor Locke. Poor Locke. I love John Locke. He's my favorite character on Lost. This was ridiculous. What are you doing? So, Don't shoot the ranch. So I, well, I think you have done a good job of talking up Charlie's psychology in this episode, I still kind of talk of a point here, just That's fine. because of the way he was behaving. While it is founded in the in you know the the addiction, it still was not great on paper. Okay, look, I'm going to go a little bit outside of Ben's magic box here, and you know we, we we've been doing this a good amount of times. We've been doing this probably what like uh, we're nearing forty times, nearly forty episodes or so. Oh my god, probably at this. I'm, I'm going to try close. to get creative here, especially because spoiler alert: Charlie is going to get a, a good amount of flack moving forward. But I want to, like you sort of said here, try to see if we can strip the character from the disease, from from what has caused his behavior. I'm going to get the ball rolling here, Josh. I'm going to give an LVP point to heroin. <laughs> I mean, it also is the pertinent episode, right? Because heroin is what, what Echo is dealing. It's what gets yeah. him in trouble. It's what gets Yemi killed. Uh-huh. <laughs> And I'll be very intrigued to see how much pushback or support I get about this. I am really not sure, so I'm excited Look, in that regard. I'm a thumbs down on heroin, so you're not going to get me here supporting heroin. Uh, somebody who has who has lost family to heroin, I'm definitely a thumbs down on heroin. Uh, but this is like saying that Marge Simpson was possessed by Gamblor. Uh, <laughs> is heroin like an evil spirit? I mean, again, you, speaking holistically, perhaps... <laughs> Have we ever assigned an MVP LVP point to someone that isn't a sentient being of some kind? Mm. Uh, like, I don't think that we've assigned an LVP point to, or an MVP point to, like, the jarred peaches at Ray Mullen's farm. Yes, but have uh, so are we are we making is this a dangerous precedent that we're setting up? See, here? I would say that then we might be opening Pandora's box, but at the same time, I feel like this is such a seminal part of now two character storylines in the episode that I would see if there is any episode to acknowledge this, then it would be heroin. That being said, 
I am open to going back next week and changing it if there is indeed a tsunami of flack about this. But I want to float something out, and I want to see if we catch a swordfish or not. All right. I think it's weird. Oh, yeah. Well, listen, where's my middle name? Yeah. Maybe we could blame it on the Virgin Mary so that we can personify it at least. You want to do that? That feels unfair. I was going to say, I don't want to blame her. I don't want to bring her into this. That feels feels unfair. Um, All right. Well, I guess heroin's getting an LVP point this week. (laughs) 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 All right. I mean, don't do drugs. Uh, That's the the moral of the story. Drugs are bad. Uh, They truly are. All right. Um, So that gives us, this is where the standings are right now. Through season two. Uh, the season two rankings specifically, Echo is out in front by a lot. Yeah. It's going to take a, a massive effort to dethrone Mr. It, Echo. You'd, you'd have to die next episode in order for to get <laughs> caught. That's not happening. So Echo uh, currently has 11 MVP points here uh, through, through season two, episode 10. That's crazy. Wow. Uh, through the series, he is tied for second right now uh, against Kate. Saeed is still the MVP leader uh, with 13 points, uh, but Echo and Kate are currently tied at 11. Uh, he will absolutely be uh, breaking past Kate very soon um, and would not surprise me at all if he makes it through season two beyond Saeed. I don't think that he'll be the title leader forever, but I think he'll be the title leader for a little while. Yeah, I, I think that, and it's, it's understandable. This is really, I wouldn't say this has been his season, but he has been a foundational part of the first half of this season, which I would say for the most part has been like pretty solid. You know, maybe we're going to start to backslide a bit as we start to get into, into the second half of the season here, but it's, it's been particularly solid much more than I remember. And I think echo is a big part of that. All right. Uh, let's get into the 4.2 stars. This is of course, how we are ranking the episodes as we go. And currently we're just talking about the season two episodes. We do not know yet how these stack against uh, the season one episodes. That's going to be very fun when we get to the end of season two. Uh, I already spoiled it. I thought uh, this could be a perfect episode, but Mike convinced me that the ranch was a, uh, a egregious enough of a sin uh, to, to dock the 23rd Psalm a point, uh, a point point. Uh, so I will go 4.1 instead of a full blown 4.2. Yeah. So I discussion of this has really boosted my, I actually came here with like a 3.7, 3.8, just because I was not, it's not that I wasn't a fan, again, of the extraneous stuff outside of the Echo Charlie of it all. But you a fan of Mr. Echo? Yeah, but I didn't, I didn't necessarily find it, you know, that compelling as much as other B and C storylines. But the other stuff is just so, so strong, so interesting, and so foundational to, as Jim Fells points out, not only the character, not only the mythos of the island, but just the themes of Lost in general, that I'm putting it on the same level as Orientation for me, which is a straight-up four- But speaking of orientation, Josh, we have a new number two episode for season two of Lost, because with Josh's 4.1, my 4.0, and the audience's average of 3.8, that puts it at a 3.98 average, two one-hundredths of a point above orientation, making the 23rd Psalm the second best episode of Lost so far. Wow, well, season, season two, two yeah. anyway. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, so it's it's Man of Science, Man of Faith is still out in front. The 23rd Psalm right behind it, orientation behind that. The other 48 days, collision, ooh, and found. Everybody hates Hugo, what Kate did, abandoned and adrift. Uh, those are the, the top 10 of 10 on the board for season two. 
thus far. Very curious to see what happens with next week's episode, The Hunting Party, uh, our second of two Jack Shepard flashback episodes here in season two. Uh, the the tete-a-tete in the jungle. We're going to see good old Mr. Friendly mm-hmm. again for the first time since he took the boy. Um, that's an iconic scene. Is it such an iconic scene that it's going to boost the hunting party further than maybe it should go? I'll be curious. I'll be curious. I think this is going to be interesting to to get back into the hunting party. And I, this is one of the rare episodes of Lost that like is not one of your typical you knew where you were episodes, but I have a very memorable story at least to me cool. about my first encounter with the hunting party that i'm very excited to get into. it'll be a, a special episode to me no matter what the score uh for a particular reason amazing amazing i, I look forward to that so we're going to do that that's dropping on your feed april 10th get your feedback in i would say by april 8th uh should be safe we are looking forward to hearing from you uh you can send that to down the hatch at postshowrecaps.com you can also hit us up on the twitters at postshowrecaps is our official account i'm at round howard mike is at a mike bloom type subscribe to the podcast if you have not done so already to make sure you never miss an episode of down the hatch we're postshowrecaps.com slash down the hatch for your apple feed i think i said hatch because i combined it with hatch and apple uh but it's down the hatch uh not not, not down, down, the, down hatch. the hatch no that's a different different show uh your ratings and reviews greatly welcomed of course as always mike bloom what else is going on you and jess are done with star trek picard we are done with star trek picard. i might do a couple of other little miscellaneous things because as we talked about on the podcast we were unsure as to when he when he now i'm combining on my own words mm-hmm. when any forms of trek are going to be coming back this year also might have a couple of other things in the hopper here at post show recaps because i know josh you just started up a major major project that much like this should take you a good amount of weeks as you go through the chronology of a series i'm really pumped about this if you're liking what we're doing with lost down the hatch going back through lost through granular detail then you will enjoy this new podcast that we have launched on post show recaps everything is super because nothing is right <laughs> now except for that podcast which is going to be your superhero fix uh here on post show recaps beginning with a full rewatch of the marvel cinematic universe all of the movies in the marvel studios marvel cinematic universe catalog it's myself and my good friend kevin mahadeo who i've podcasted about a ton of comic book content content with here on poster recaps in the past uh we are getting into iron man next week mm. uh if you've got any feedback about the og iron man you can send that in super at postshowrecaps.com. we're going to be ranking the marvel movies oh. uh as well as we're going through uh we're going to do that in a style that's very similar to how we rank the lost episodes instead of instead of a scale of zero to 4.2 uh our scale is one to six uh, representing uh, the amount of infinity stones. Mm. Uh, so, how many infinity stones are you giving? Any? Do they have to specify which infinity stones? Like, I give this one a time <laughs> reality. I mean, you can if you want. I, I don't see why not. That's kind of fun. Sure. Uh, go for it. I don't know how we're going to like actually tabulate that, uh, but maybe we can. Well, yeah, maybe uh, it'd be but- interesting. Maybe if, if people want to go the extra mile and like attribute Infinity Stones to the particular movie, depending on what it focuses yeah. in, you know? 
certainly possible if you would like to do that. But we're definitely doing the rankings. Uh, Kevin and I already released our introductory episode, uh, which goes into our own origin stories with the comic book medium, with knowing each other, uh, our relationship to the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And we're getting into Iron Man next week. Uh, So the podcast feed for that should be up pretty soon, if it's not up already, uh, wherever you get your podcasts. uh, On on Apple, postshowrecaps.com slash super. If it doesn't take you to the feed yet on Apple, it will eventually... Uh, so keep an eye out for and that. And at this rate, uh, you'll be able to finish the whole MCU universe before Black Widow actually comes out. <laughs> Maybe. Who knows? Who knows? Uh, as of this recording, uh, we, we still do not know. Uh, but really fun. And the MCU rewatches how we're, how we're kicking this thing off. But who knows where the podcast will go after that. Lots of superhero movies and superhero shows out there in the universe. And this will be the spot to talk about them all. So check that out. We also have Better Call Saul coverage is still going on. Jess and I are about to wrap up our Walking Dead coverage. We're talking about a new show uh, that we're going to be kicking off here pretty soon. Um, no spoilers as to what that is yet, except that it's Killing Eve. Um, so that's <laughs> that's the podcast. We're going to do Killing Eve. That, but Killing that's Eve not podcast. a spoiler. <laughs> Uh, but it's not a spoiler. Don't tell anybody. Uh, coming to post-show recaps. Really looking forward to that. Uh, in the middle of binging uh, Killing Eve right now and having a blast. Mm. I think it's going to be a very, very, very fun podcast. So uh, keep an ear out for that. That show is premiering on AMC on April 12th. Uh, simulcast AMC and BBC America. So oh. right around then is when we're going to be uh, kicking off the Killing Eve podcast. So Jess and I are really, really pumped up about that. Uh, and then Westworld is still happening. Westworld's still going on. Westworld's crazy. Oh, Westworld, this yeah. But the, this past week's episode was one of my favorites, uh, at least of the season so far. Uh, some good old-fashioned head-scratching stuff going on. I know we're covering it on our respective outlets. You're, of course, covering it here as well as for THR. I'm covering it with Jay and Jack. I can't believe we're going to be halfway through season three uh, mm-hmm. next week. Things are Some things are moving incredibly slow in this world, Josh, but Westworld season three is not one of them. And neither is Lost. Lost is moving forward with great speed as we are getting into the hunting party next week. We say goodbye now to the 23rd Psalm. And Mike, if you could just cue up that uh, that outro that I, that I sent your way, we can say goodbye to the 23rd Psalm as the great band Rusted to Groot intended. Goodbye, everybody. <laughs> Oh, baby.